Leave the castle. Leave the castle. That's the voice. That's it. You see? You need a real dead body or it won't work. Episode 85 of The Bloody Pit. I am Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn. 85. Wow, just think about that. That's impressive. That is impressive. It's not really that impressive when you consider that I just recorded with Derek Cook, who is up to 400 some odd episodes of Monster Kid Radio. (laughs) But some people are superhuman. We are mere mortals, and I think uh, think once a month is the best we can manage. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you and I can only do it once a month, but I I do try to squeeze in other people to to, 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 make other episodes as well. So that we're not at least, you know, <laughs> given our druthers, I'm sure we would, you know, we would podcast every day. But people were just not that dedicated, and we like to sleep. Now I'm afraid somebody's going to make a T-shirt for us that says "Podcasters do it once a month," you know, or, <laughs> or "Lame podcasters do it once a month." <laughs> Oh, was it old, old podcasters, podcasters? Old do podcasters. It once a we're we're yeah. in our ninth year of podcasting, yeah. so maybe that, that we qualify for the old category. Is that what we should be? Yeah. Okay. Well, considering that the 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 general lifespan of a podcast seems to be somewhere between one and three years, I think mm, we're kind mm, of you know mm. beating the beating the track record by a long distance yep. here. So. Yep. But folks, we are back to do another 1940s Universal horror film. So exciting because we're getting into some of the uh, well, I mean, we're talking mm. about the '40s anyway, so we're getting mm. into some of the the weirder ones. There's only oh, a yeah. couple. There's only a handful of the ones in the 1940s that really are considered uh, up to the level to be talked of in the same breath as the classics that Universal was churning out in the 1930s. Mm. Um, we've not really gotten to the biggies, no, yet. No, no. We've gotten to a couple that are. That are uh, of significance, but uh, tonight we're not doing a significant one. I think that it's safe to say. Well, well, this is my first time viewing it. I mean, realized I told you, some, you know, I'd not seen this one before. I was excited about watching it, but I had that just shows you how even as, yeah. as big a fan of Universal stuff as I am, as I had never watched Horror Island. Well, it I think for a long time it was not that easy to come by. Probably I mean, not. It was, yeah. It's not something that popped up. One of its biggest, its biggest, uh, the biggest reason Horror Island would be difficult to see, I think, is that it doesn't star. Any of the big horror stars that right. Universal had cultivated, or mm. that you know Universal had even kind of you know bled off from mm. anywhere else, so you don't have. Uh, I mean, what what the big horror star in it is the guy who in you know the pre you know, what, the previous year was in the Mummy's Hand. That's yeah. it. That's, re- that's really it, right? Yeah. I mean, and and no uh, and no classic monsters either. Not know. yeah, no classic monster. 
really the only thing that would um, draw an audience to this that's looking for another universal horror film would be just kind of a collector's mentality, the kind mm-hmm. of idea, yeah. oh, I'm, I want to see all of the ones yeah. that yeah. You know, that studio produced in that period of time mm-hmm. that could be considered a chiller or a horror film. And so in that you know, in that respect, yeah, 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 this this certainly fits the bill. And you know, it has it, you know, it has a lot of the things that you were looking for when mm-hmm. you're looking for a universal horror film. Yeah, uh, there's a there's a nice lot of creep, but mm-hmm. mostly this falls into and maybe we're talking about this too quickly. I don't know, but <laughs> but it really does kind of fall into the mystery thriller category mm-hmm. more than it mm-hmm. does any kind of horror film. It does have horrific elements. Mm-hmm. That you know, and there are there there's some murders. I mean, mm-hmm. people people do get croaked. Mm-hmm. Yes, but they are treated about as lightly as <laughs> yes. <laughs> they're they're but a but a but a trivial matter, you know. Really, and and then you know, and this we'll talk about that. But I think that this film, I think this film is kind of quintessentially what the the Hollywood at that time wanted from every horror movie, as far as what they wanted every horror movie, like the code and all. Basically, what it's oh, not yeah, necessarily yeah. horror movie, but as far as the, I mean, not necessarily Hollywood, but I guess I meant the people who were kind of really clamping down on Hollywood. You know, but still allowing them to make thrillers or or horror movies, that sort of thing. This movie, I think, kind of toes the line in just the way they they had in mind. I believe. I think you may be right, and I think that uh, even though even the horrific, you're right because think about it. The, even the horrific, horrific elements, even the the mm-hmm. uh, the horror parts, mm-hmm. are um, kind of soft pedaled in a way, and mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and uh, almost made light of or shied away from almost. Mm-hmm. As quickly as they're presented, yeah. so yeah, you may, yeah, 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 you're probably right. This may, um, well, let's, before we get, as I say, we're kind of summing up before we've even. <laughs> well, no, no, there's a lot to talk about before we get to the summing up. And you're right. I was, <laughs> we're kind of already diving into this because <laughs> as the, <laughs> well, I mean, as you the, haven't missed the whole show, folks. No, 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 no. And, we're, we're only a few minutes into this. I swear, I swear. <laughs> uh, but no, as is uh, our typical way of doing things, neither of us have uh, talked to the. We we we've not talked about this, bet- you know, between no. us, between ourselves, yeah. um, before we sit down to record because we kind of want to. Um, you know, preserve what little mystery there is between the two of us after nine years of podcasting. Yeah. <laughs> so we uh, we don't know what the other thinks mm. primarily about uh, anything in detail or the movie actually in general, and especially for Troy, this being the first time you've yeah. ever actually seen it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'll be honest. I've only seen it. This is only my third mm-hmm. or possibly yeah, mm-hmm. it's probably only my third or fourth time seeing it. Okay. Um, you know, first of all, I think the uh, novelty of it is wonderful. If you're a universal horror fan and you've mm-hmm. not seen this one, mm-hmm. there's going to be that you know that shock of the new because yeah. oh goody because oh, it's yeah. you know it's definitely uh, a universal horror product of that period. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has it definitely has that feel and that flavor, and it's it's not gonna it, okay. I don't think it's ever going to be anybody's favorite 1941 film. Yeah, right. I mean, no. it's it's oh, it's it's, it's, it's yeah. fun and yeah. silly. Yeah. It's a little hard to take all that seriously, mm-hmm. uh, even when it's trying to get you to take it seriously. Mm-hmm. But uh, before we get to a full discussion of this film, let me back up a minute and say, Troy, how you been? I've <laughs> <laughs> been all right, man. I've been all right. Doing doing well. Doing well. Nothing out of the ordinary or interesting going on? Oh, uh, no, just, just just life as usual. You know, uh, good you know, all good stuff. And, uh, you know, just um, we're, we're still... At this point, wondering you know which day is going to be warm, which day is going to be cold, you know. But that's that's yes. Tennessee. That's springtime in Tennessee. This um, is true. This is true. Um, what about you? You've been doing good. 
Not, not, not too bad. I'm now glad. I know you're about to you're about to move us into some uh, big swanky studios. You know, some uh, art. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. The next time you and I record, we'll uh, we'll be in a in a, in a brand new uh, hermetically sealed, <laughs> state of the art mm-hmm. studio for mm-hmm. the recording of podcasts. I've had mm-hmm. especially built. Yeah, with a huge tower broadcasting. No, I will be I will be amused. I think that we will actually be we'll we'll be able to say much like they do on the B movie cast. Uh, Mm-hmm. Um, that we're recording in the uh, second second floor spare bedroom <laughs> yeah. of, of the palatial, the palatial <laughs> Barnett estate. But uh, <laughs> well, it's great. I, I listen to a uh, there's a podcast that I, I really enjoy called The History of England, and uh, uh, I'm you know really meticulously going through the history of England. I'm up to about episode I think 180, and it's still like you know 15th century, you know. And uh, <laughs> but the guy that that uh, um, does the show uh, is really fun. He's got a great dry British wit about him, you know, uh, and, uh, uh, and 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 so it's very entertaining listening. But he always talks. He always references the shed. Always mentions about recording from the shed, you know, because of the shed cast. And so that's, <laughs> that's crazy. so you just know his wife is basically yeah. That's where you you know give him that space. That's where you do this, you know. <laughs> Don't be underfoot, you know. Yeah, get so out, get, get out of my way with your stupid little hobby. Yeah. Oh, do what you got to do. Well, that's interesting. I, I'm, I, I was just, I've been really happy lately to uh, get the chance to um, sit down and watch a few of the recent stuff that has been uh, their older films being mm-hmm. put out on uh, mm-hmm. on Blu-ray and st- and things of that nature. Sit, sat down and watched the Torture Chamber of Doctor Sadism. Oh, uh, yes, the yeah. I, I, I will I will admit I think the the, the print that uh, Severin has on their Blu-ray is taken from a couple of sixteen millimeter prints. Yeah, it may uh, be. It's not. Yeah, I mean they they announced it at the beginning of the of, yeah. the, of the print. It's it's. I think the movie could look better. I'm yeah. gonna yeah. be honest. Until I know a little bit more, mm. uh, I'm I'm not all that pleased with the visuals on uh, the Blu-ray. I'm glad to have the film, and it appears to be uncut. Mm. And uh, of course, it's certainly a raft of extras. Yeah. But uh, the fact that I uh, su- submarined <laughs> right straight toward the the most uh, insane title in the set. Uh, you know, torture chamber of Doctor Sadism is just you can't beat that well, <laughs> title I, for it. But but I love I I love I, the I film love just because the, there's so the much film, in yeah. it's in the film. I, I'm, that is yeah. that is a shame that it that it that, that didn't find a better materials to work from. But there's yeah. just uh, so much pulpy fun creepy you know mm-hmm. and just uh, has a really great just uh, horror atmosphere in that film. So. And I'd forgotten Chris, Christopher Lee does provide his own voice in the English yeah. dub, yeah. which is uh, that is uh, cool. you know. It, 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 when I run across something like how he's dubbed by someone else in something like Bava's The Whip in the Body, and I'm mm-hmm. so disappointed that it's not Lee's voice uh, issuing from that incredible great voices voice. And, yeah. it, yes, it, it really kind of disappoints, but you know, it reminds me just how powerful a voice he has and how how good he can be, even when um, when you when you watch Torture Chamber of Doctor Sadism, it's very clear. That they only had him for a few days because he's at the beginning of the movie and he's at the end of the movie. Yeah, <laughs> it's that a huge swath in the middle where it's it's Lex Barker, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. and um, oh god, the uh, Karen Door, yeah, uh, making their way through mm-hmm. the the countryside, mm-hmm. and uh, then you know, then then we get to you know we get through the the uh, forest of uh, hanging corpses, and then oh, we, 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 yeah. we 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 fi- we finally get to the to the to Christopher Lee segments at the end, and it's like. I wonder how many days they had Lee. I'd love to know. I wonder how to, how to look that up. I need, I need to go through the extras on that mm-hmm. disc and see if is he exactly how many days they had Chris Lee. Because, like I say, there's the is the, he's the, he's not in the middle hour right. of the movie. No, that's true. <laughs> For an 82 minute long movie, it's like they didn't have a lot of time with it, did they? 
Uh, but also uh, went out and got to see uh, Shazam and really loved it. It's really good. Cool. I a, see that. A complete yeah. blast. It looks like it would be a lot it's, of fun. It's so much fun. Uh, I, I have enjoyed, actually, um, the general consensus is that it is wonderful uh, from from most people. But I do love uh, poking bears, and, and there's a number of Facebook groups mm-hmm. that are, you know, like specifically either dedicated to, you know, like the original Captain Marvel oh, or... Yeah. You know something along those lines, and I love like throw, throwing up my my brief uh, blog review of it there, and then watching people come in and say, "Yeah, yeah I really enjoyed it," and others going, "It's not the real Captain Marvel. I hated it. <laughs> it's it's not Captain Marvel. The, <laughs> B- Billy Batson ro- robs an ATM, and I'm like, well, no, he 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 does get money out of an ATM by electrocuting it. Mm. Uh, that's because we're showing this character have an arc where he mm. grows yeah. from, you know, this kid mm. who has questionable morals to mm. realizing what he's got. And it's just, I love, I love poking <laughs> bears like that. I love watching these people have these little these little hissy fits. It's not, re- it's not, it's not the way it should be. And I'm yeah. like, dude, man, come on, grow, grow, grow up, yeah. grow yeah. up, and just <laughs> come on, kid. If you can't if you can't enjoy the Shazam movie, I don't yeah. think there's a lot you can really enjoy. It's it's yeah. it's yeah. that it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean come cool. I mean come on, they even <laughs> pulled the trigger on Mister Mind. I know, and how can you not love that? I mean, you got to have Mister Mind in there. <laughs> it's, just... <laughs> it's, it's like if they made a Superboy movie mm. and included Crypto. Yeah, oh. and you bitched because the dog was the wrong breed. <laughs> it's like, Shut up! Shut up! Or his cape was the wrong length, or whatever. Or, you know? yeah, yeah, cape was the wrong length. <laughs> yeah, and like his bark. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> nevertheless, folks. I would be all about a Superboy and Crypto movie, just speaking personally. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> I'm really surprised that there hasn't been some uh, DC animated you know, feature yeah. of that. Yeah. Uh, I really enjoyed... Um, well, there's been a lot of great DC animated stuff over the past 10, 15 years. Um, and, of course, I can't stop babbling about how great the two seasons of Young Justice were. Um, yeah, I've not gotten a chance. So you've been watching the DC Universe, the stuff that's... Or, or was this on? Oh, you mean all the all the like, straight to video feature? Oh, oh, that's films a, oh, right, right. Out. Yes, okay, yeah. I didn't know. But if young you had young a Justice yeah. had been on. Yeah, young Justice was broadcast. I think on the Cartoon Network. Okay, that's right. So, yeah. This was a few years ago. Supposedly they're going mm. to finally do a third season of it, mm. uh, which which would be great if they can maintain the the quality of the first mm. two seasons. That would be amazing. But what was great in that is they had um, the modern version of Superboy in the Young Justice uh, lineup. Oh, yeah. And there was a point at which he kind of had a mechanic, kind of a not not a dog, but a kind of a alien mechanical pet that mm. wasn't really a dog, mm. but it was, it was much more of a sphere that that mm. kind of latched itself onto him. Mm. And there was this big part of me just waiting for them to start calling it crypto. No. <laughs> so <I> could- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, well, I even uh, I had not caught it before, but I even stumbled across a couple episodes because they were doing a marathon this last weekend on Cartoon Network of just the Teen Titans character series. And it's hilarious, I man! It's, it's, I, I just I, I enjoy it, man. I I don't I, like I, the it's not the kind of thing that I would want to watch. Well, the animation itself is pretty. Yeah, I mean, it's I pretty like slim shot. But I just found it really funny, though. You know, I mean, I just thought, thought there was a lot of really funny oh, stuff cool. in it. So I, I I watched almost an entire episode before mm-hmm. I gagged. I just, really, I, I no, don't I like the design. Yeah, I don't like the design. Yeah, it didn't really bother me. I mean, I thought. I mean, I know what they're going. I mean, it's not great. I mean, yeah, it's definitely not great. Teen Titans animation. Go. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Just, mm. it, it's just. I mean, I know it's just done for 
laughs, but and, it and, really and, cracked and, me up. You know, tone wise, it, it really is the far end of the spectrum away from something like Young Justice, which was you oh, know, sure, very, yeah, right. very serious and well mm. and, and well done. Mm. And uh, so they you know, obviously tonally, Teen Titans Go is the far end of the other. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the, on, the, on the far end of the other, you know, the mm. spectrum, mm. and that's you know that's all well and good. And it's like maybe one day we'll have a serious Teen mm. Titans mm. Yeah, series. Be, yeah. That'll be good. Yeah. Maybe they'll fold it into Young Justice when they mm. if they do mm. a third season. Mm. I hear, like I say, I think they're doing it. Oh, cool. Finally, doing a third season years after the fact. Well, you got to understand, Young Justice was canceled because they found that the show was skewing too female, and therefore they didn't think they could sell enough toys. Wow, really? Jeez. Yes. Wow, that's <laughs> not not heard that. That's pretty lame. But yeah, that's pretty wild. it's one of those decisions where you just want to find someone, smack mm. them, mm. <laughs> spit in their face, <laughs> kick them repeatedly in the head, and it's that kind of. Mm. It it not a lot incites violence. Okay, that's a lie. A lot incites violence for me. Yeah, <laughs> including what I just spoke. I just spoke about. Um, folks, I tell you what, uh, I will stop babbling about uh, superhero animated things because that is not what this show is about, and that is not what the title of this show is. The title of this show is Horror Island, and we will get to some island horror real soon. So, Troy, we'll yep. take we'll take a break. We will, and we'll come back, and then we will dive headlong into a full. No bars, no no mm. bars held, no holds barred. <laughs> no bars. I can't open. even. I'm no good at this. <laughs> We're gonna come talk about Hara Island. Man, I don't know what's wrong with me. All of a sudden, now I can't speak. <laughs> Folks, back in a sec. Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Ah, necrophilia. Ah, ah, It's a dead issue, man. Don't, don't push it. Cinema PsyOps is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this? No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked, crude. I know, really. Right? the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in you. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. Oh, I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I, I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get it's out of it. unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this movie. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you should be. I'm not entirely sure even 17-year-olds should be watching this just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this like little nerd glee with everything that kept little history doll yeah, popping up absolutely. at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you you know couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped watching this shit at 12 years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was. How did you watch movie. this shit at 12? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Science. We let things pile up in the DVR, we add them to our queues, we wait for the DVDs and Blu-rays. We time shift. The Time Shifters podcast. Sci-fi, horror, fantasy, superheroes, comedy, action, film, television, maybe some not-so-current events. Find us on iTunes or at timeshifterspodcast.com.
Horror Island, 1941. Universal's Horrors. Uh, slight little film. Uh, I think it clocks in at exactly an hour. Am yeah, I right. Over, yeah, give or take a couple of ticks of the clock. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So a uh, one-hour-long mm-hmm. co-feature, obviously mm-hmm. uh, made to support Man-Made Monster on the second half of an all-horror double bill. Um, it really kind of feels like that as well, doesn't it? Feels yes, like the, uh, the kind of yeah. the lesser brother of the, the film that you would have seen first, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, made by the same mm-hmm. director, yeah. George Wagner. Mm-hmm. I think that to a degree, and I like I like the way Tom Weaver put this in the Universal Horrors book. In a lot of ways, this movie seems like it was put together uh, kind of as like the perfect horror mystery. Stew and, mm-hmm. and the idea may, seems like well if, if we ha- we need to have this and this and this mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we've got this standing mm-hmm. set so we can throw this into mm-hmm. it and we can put this put this in here and then kind of swirl it around now have somebody write a script yeah and even if we're not going to delve into the supernatural we want to have that potential of the setting yep. as something that will put people in the 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 thoughts of that potential element too right and it, it seems to me that. Weaver is right to point out that in a lot of ways this movie seems to be an attempt to copy the Bob Hope film The Ghost Breakers. Mm, I can see that. Uh, because it's almost, it, it's close. It's mm-hmm. it's close to being the same story. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe, uh, you know, litigiously close. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I doubt yeah. anybody got sued or we would have heard about it. But it does seem that uh, to get that close and to not get sued means that, you know, you were very lucky. Mm-hmm. Because... The Ghostbreakers was just a year before this, mm-hmm. and so it has to have been, you know, fairly commonly known, at least, you know, in the in the kind of common frame of reference at the time. Yeah. yeah. But no, I think it's a good point. Uh, Ghost, um, let's say up front. I think Ghostbreakers is is a much better film. Yeah. Um, and I'm not the biggest fan of Bob Hope's no, me either, uh, but screen persona, shall we say? Mm-hmm. But uh, Ghostbreakers, that's you know, it's like it's like um, with a lot of people they, they say I don't like Jerry Lewis, but The Nutty Professor is a great movie. Mm-hmm. And with me, it's like you know, even if you're not a Bob Hope fan, yeah. The Ghostbreakers is a damn good film. It is. Yeah, I always enjoy the movie. A lot. And so I think, and this is what's really weird. The first time I saw Horror, Horror Island. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did have this weird feeling in the back of my mind. Mm-hmm. Have I seen this movie before? Have I seen mm-hmm. this movie before? And it was because I had seen Ghostbreakers, you know, years mm-hmm. before, mm-hmm. and was having kind of mm-hmm. that that weird sense of deja vu when a movie that you're watching seems like a movie you've seen, but it actually mm-hmm. isn't because it's <laughs> right. it's yeah. different actors yeah. and it doesn't really uh, it doesn't mm-hmm. seem exactly right. So the joys in this movie are. Uh, the ones that you're going to find from people who enjoy, well, 1940s universal horror films in general. Mm-hmm. In other words, those movies that are not, shall we say, the pre-1935 full-blooded go-for-the-throat mm-hmm. universal horrors of, yeah. uh, say, Murders in the Rue Morgue or The Black Cat mm-hmm. or you know the original Frankenstein or anything like that. This is mm-hmm. definitely post-code. This is even post uh, that period of time when uh, Universal stopped making horror films in the 30s because the, Brit- Brit- the Brits stopped importing them and so they that cut off such a huge amount of their earning potential yeah. that that Universal just stopped making them for a few years mm-hmm. until the the glorious mm-hmm. the glorious. 19, I think it was 38 or 39. 39, I think, when they finally started making them again, and we got mm-hmm. the wonderful return to form with Son of Frankenstein. Son of Frankenstein, yeah, yeah. So, um, can we call it a kitty matinee sort of film? I think in a lot of ways, yeah. Yeah, certainly. I mean, I don't think there's there much there to traumatize even the no, tiniest no. of tots. There, I, I, you know? I, yeah, I don't think so. And it's, um, 
like I say, it's a quick film, mm. but um, I think we'll discuss as we go through it mm. how even an hour-long film can seem to have some fat, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is a little strange to be able to say, but yeah. it kind of does. First of all, it was produced on a cheap, cheap budget. As a matter of fact, this may be one of the cheapest Universal horror films we'll ever talk about. It was produced on a budget of supposedly $93,000. Mm-hmm. One of the uh, striking things about it is that they were supposed to start production in February, I think like February 20th of 41, but something delayed it, and they weren't able to start filming until March 3rd, but they already had a preview date set, and so they just had to <laughs> get it shot. Yeah, yeah. So they had three weeks to get this picture made completely. That means shot, edited, and scored everything in place, and a, <laughs> I'm no doubt a wet print being <laughs> yeah, delivered right. to a theater somewhere right. so that people could watch the thing. There's a great quote in here. Uh, Peggy Moran, the female lead, was interviewed by Tom Weaver years later and was asked about her thoughts of the movie. She says that she didn't have a whole lot of recall about it because she says, quote, most of my pictures I felt they raced through. They were two-week pictures, but this was really two weeks, day and night. I remember going home and being so exhausted I couldn't eat dinner. My what? My mother would rub my back and I would start crying just from being so exhausted. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty rough. Mm-hmm. Um, so the... Um, the film very craftily uses a bunch of sets that uh, were built for other movies. Mm-hmm. They um, had a uh, miniature to represent Morgan's castle. And I think actually shots of that castle were stolen by uh, PRC or probably purchased from Universal mm-hmm. for uh, the film Fog Island, mm-hmm. which okay. is uh, a pretty fun uh, mm-hmm. Poverty, Row, Poverty mm-hmm. Row horror film from PRC. Uh, Fog Island, which I, uh, it's, it's a little nonsensical and doesn't make a mm. lot of sense, but I mm. get a lot of joy out of Fog oh, yeah. Island. Okay. I don't think I've, I've heard that, but I don't believe I've ever seen that. Oh, uh, really? A fo- Fog Island is definitely a Troy Gwynn special. <laughs> it sounds like it. sounds like it'd be right up my alley. <laughs> it's, 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 I you, love it. You, you do worship mm. the fog and shroud and horror tale. Fog there makes the fog makes the movie. That's it's my <laughs> my motto. <laughs> fog, fog makes the movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you, you know what? what? I'm gonna I'm gonna pitch a book to McFarland about the the exhaustive fog filmography, you know, <laughs> filmography, you know, of the fog the fogography. That's what I'll call it. Fogography, fogography of just uh, best uses of you know oh, comprehensive listing of ooh, uses ooh. of fog and it would be uh, it would be fog from the silence to John Carpenter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like it. I like it. That's How's good. that? I mean, it's good. that way you have, you have an endpoint in mind. It'd be you know 1980, yeah. boom, and you're done. And yeah, yeah, I like it. Not bad. Yeah. <laughs> Get to work on that. I am, I am. Good lord. <laughs> but that does, I do want to go and say, because that does make me think of the something that, when I was watching this, and I was thinking about you and me both, that we're the kind of people who are going to be so much more forgiving of this kind of film oh, than so, a lot of people yeah. would be, because I know you'll agree with me that there are so many elements that you and I are basically suckers for, you know, and, and uh, just, you know, you can, oh, you can yeah. just rattle them off, you know, Mysterious Island, you know. Old Castle, Hunting for Treasure, Secret Passages, you know, uh, uh, guys in, you know, a phantom going around in a cape and a hat, because you have to, you know, you, you, oh, you know, yeah. this phantom that's supposed to, like, you know, he's got to be inconspicuous, so he's just going to wear this huge cape and, and, and hat. <laughs> he's going to he walk around looking like the shadows. Yeah, yeah. it's like, there's, there's a lot of things that, you know, we're halfway there to, in, to at least being able to enjoy an hour of watching this this oh, film, yeah. regardless of what all else there is. And, it, and and I think a lot of the key to enjoying the film is, is going to have to be of that you know, to already have that that kind of response to these kind of things in place there, that you know, to to even well, get and, you into giving it a shot. Or, 
and not to leap ahead, but also yeah. I, I have to say that I think that uh, the, the there is still some actual chemistry between Dick Ferran and Peggy Morgan. Yeah, Peggy um, Moran. I'm sorry, Peggy Peggy Moran. Yeah, no, I'm I was, sorry. was really happy. Uh, I'm, to I'm, see, combi- yeah. I'm combining the pirates now. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, I was really happy to see those those two yeah. together again and kind of repeating really in a lot of ways the same roles. Really, I mean, it's it's because to a degree. Uh, you know, Dick Ferran is is um, he pulls off that kind of likable shyster. Uh, get the guy who's looking for a get rich quick scheme, but ultimately is a good guy. He pulls that off really well, and they even kind of come to the, have this whole, whole kind of same meeting cute kind of yeah. thing where they you know don't hit it off at first, and you, you can already know you already know where that's hit. Well, I think I like Dick Ferran's character in this because he is somewhere between uh, a, a con artist. Mm. And an entrepreneur, and he, right. and it's just it's like however and the, we know however that he the, would call himself. We know which one he would call yeah, himself. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and it's like he's not actually like you know taking taking anybody's money no. for you know no. you know in any kind of illegal way. But and he's not really a con man. He's not trying right. to steal something. Yeah, but you know he is trying desperately to find a way to pay yeah. pay his bills, yeah. and he's not having a whole lot of luck as the film begins. Which so. is kind of similar to the way he was in the um, the the Mummy film. You know, yeah. is, is that Mummy's, he's, hand, Mummy's yeah. hand is that he's a. Uh, you know, once again, not not ripping anybody off, but he's he wants so badly to be able to do his exposi- expedition that he's definitely willing to fast talk a little bit, you know, and finagle a little bit to try and get the funding he needs. Yep. This is uh, this is a fun little movie. Once again, I think we'll use the um, plot synopsis that came in uh, the Universal Horrors book by Tom Weaver. I think mm-hmm. it's a, I think it's a good a good uh, synopsis of the film. Unlike the bizarre synopsis <laughs> on Wikipedia, folks, yeah. holy crap, don't mm-hmm. go to the Wikipedia page before you watch Horror Island. Just watch Horror Island. It's mm-hmm. only an hour. You'll uh, get, you know, whatever enjoyment you're going to get out of it. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, you know, at least as much as Troy and I did. And then go read the Wikipedia page and marvel at the first paragraph mm-hmm. of the Wikipedia plot synopsis. Uh, marvel because it, it seems as if they saw the movie... And then tried to figure out, well, how do I tell people about this movie? Months later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like it's, it's like they. I, I don't know. Did they did they hit the bong really hard and then get hit in the head? Right. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but there's something wrong with that plot synopsis, and it's 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 obvious from from the first paragraph. Anyway, once again, uh, Laura <laughs> Island, 1941. Dick Ferran plays Bill Martin, a Princeton grad who can't seem to pass muster in the business world. Now, I would say that in parentheses here, Weaver has a comment that I kind of agree with, Mm. which is that Ferran seems a bit too mature to be playing an out-of-work college grad, but uh, his easygoing, affable personality compensates for the miscasting, and I would not say necessarily that it's miscasting. I think think that more along the lines, I always thought the character was supposed to be someone who was... Roughly in his early thirties, mm-hmm. because I always got the sense, and maybe it's just because of Dick Ferran's age, I always got the sense that this guy, although he was a Princeton grad, it's not like he just left college. Yeah, I never got, I didn't get that impression either. I didn't think of him as as being. Yeah, I thought of him about being the age what you're talking about. Yeah, I keep thinking that the the reason that they reference the fact that he's a Princeton graduate is that there's so much more expected of someone who have graduated mm. from mm. such an auspicious mm. yeah. school. Yeah. You know, he, he should be doing more than this. He should not be at, you know, at, at loose ends trying mm. to figure out his mm. finances the way mm. he is. And that's why, that's why I always seem per, anytime you start reading about this movie, people are all, people are always commenting that, 
well, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't look like he's fresh out of college. And it's like, well, I never got the idea that he was. Yeah, I, I, I thought I, they were referencing his his Princeton, you know, college um, experience as being the reason why you would have expected him to be in a better place financially. So, well, and and, and yeah, and also the uh, also setting up himself up as as or the character up to be somebody who obviously came from a certain degree of success and uh, or wealth because yeah. of they have an island and a and a, a castle that he essentially owns. That he inherited, inherits, yeah, yeah. yeah. inherited, yeah. yeah. Which okay, so that that's that's like I said, I never I never read the character as being mm-hmm. in his mid twenties. I always mm-hmm. read him as being possibly ten years older than that, mm-hmm. and therefore you know having essentially spent enough time outside of the yeah. the, the world of academia to uh, mm-hmm. start to consider himself a bit of a mm-hmm. I don't know a bit of a flop as a yeah. as a successful yeah. Human well, being. and also the the interplay between him and his his uh, sidekick slash friend, you know, stuff Oliver. Uh, they sort of have this sense of a history that he's right. led them down this path many times. I mean, Steph's reaction to the stuff, to the things that, uh, that <laughs> yes, no pun intended, Steph's reaction to the things that Bill is, is planning, you know, it seems it's kind of world weary, like here we go again kind of thing. That also suggests a few years of trying to do this, of struggling, which also kind of makes him feel older. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it definitely does seem like these guys have been at this a while. Mm-hmm. Well, searching for the perfect get rich quick scheme, Bill and his partner, Stuff Oliver, join forces with peg-legged Spanish seaman Tobias Klump, affectionately known as the Skipper. Now, let's talk for a moment about um, Bill's partner, Stuff mm-hmm. Oliver, played by Fuzzy Knight. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. Fuzzy Knight is an interesting guy because primarily, if you know Fuzzy Knight, you know him as a sidekick in B-Westerns. Yeah. Yeah. That's where he spent the vast majority of his screen time. And trust me, there was a lot of screen time <sighs> yes, for Fuzzy Knight oh, yeah. over the years. Uh, his real name was John Forrest Knight. That's K-N-I-G-H-T. Mm-hmm. He appeared in more than 180 films in his career. Oh, That's insane. He was from West Virginia. Which, mm-hmm. which means that he came by he came mm-hmm. by his persona naturally. Yeah. This was not something concocted for the screen, right? And uh, he really uh, got his first notable film role in the the May West's uh, May West film. She done him wrong. Mm-hmm. After he'd been in a lot of westerns, he then became uh, famous to a whole new generation when he starred as Buster Crab's sidekick in the 1955 TV series Captain Gallant of the Foreign Legion. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's pretty weird. They they actually even called his character by his his stage name, Fuzzy Knight. Did right? they really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Private Fuzzy Knight. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Which is pretty wild. But I think what's funny is that he's good as the typical sidekick character he that he, he usually is. plays mm-hmm. in this. He's yeah. definitely once again playing a sidekick. This mm-hmm. is just not a western. Mm-hmm. But I think it's funny that if you look over the character names that Fuzzy Knight usually oh, had. Oh, they're all, I can just imagine. Okay. Some, now, some, some variation on Stuff, Oliver. No, 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 no. Stuff is like the least descriptive <laughs> of, the, of, the, of the names of characters that Fuzzy Knight played in various films. I'm just going to rattle off a few. Tater. <laughs> Buzz. Wow. Cookie. <laughs> Weary. Deadwood. <laughs> Chap. Kansas. Echo, <laughs> Rosebud, <laughs> Porky Hodges, Sneaky Pete, Tex, Tex, of course, Jazz Bo Davis, <laughs> and Buck. <laughs> so if you think about just that series of character names, I wonder if, the, I wonder if there's any, I wonder if there's any 30s and 40s sidekick name generator out there. You know about these name generators? 
There's got to be one out there, you know. It's like, oh, you know, be like, great. take take a starchy food as your first thing. And then, you know, <laughs> starchy food. A starchy food. Uh, or a facial hair description. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Incorrectly spelled yeah. uh, surname <laughs> coupled with yeah. possibly junior. Yeah. <laughs> Just a ra- random junior association. <laughs> I've got it. If I could only figure out some way so that they didn't have to saw them up. Huh? It's worth a million dollars. Condensed stuffing for Christmas turkeys. Well, they can't bear, don't they? Yeah, they can, Beer. Uh, why don't we give this whole business up and get ourselves jobs like other people? Oh, now, Stuff, you don't want to spoil a beautiful record, do you? Two-thirds of my class have been out of work since I left Princeton. Do you mind if I get a job? I didn't go to college. Oh, Stuff, you're not losing confidence in the old Bill Martin system, are you? How can it miss? How can it miss? Remember all of your other ideas? They couldn't miss either. Sometimes you have to have patience. You have to wait. Wait? Yeah. While we're waiting around, will you tell me how eight bucks is going to take care of these? Here. Back rent in the store. Three months payments on this book. There's only one thing to do. File them with the rest of our bills. I always sound like a sidekick, sir. <laughs> uh, one thing I should point out is that uh, Fuzzy Knight was not originally going to be in the role. Uh, I don't know the answer to this, but can I guess? Go ahead. Wallace Ford? No. See, that's who I... Uh, nothing against Fuzzy Knight, but that's who I thought would have been great to have had Wallace Ford oh, in that really? role because of Mummy's Hand. Uh, because I would have thought to pair him... You, you, oh, Wallace Ford, you're right. Yeah. I just thought it would have been cool to have the... Yeah, yeah. Dick, because the interplay between these characters is practically the same, and I'm really kind of surprised that coming so close after Mummy's Hand that they didn't, and they've got Peggy Moran in it again, that they didn't pair that trio again. So I'm just curious what Wallace Ford was doing at this time. I, I just have to think they would have considered him at some point. But no, tell me, who was who was actually... Andy Devine well, Andy was Devine, originally chosen for the role of Dick yeah. Foran's sidekick Stuff. Reportedly, he and his screen partner had a falling out prior to the start of shooting. Ooh. And Fuzzy Knight was assigned the role instead. Oh, man. That's a little strange. I don't is, know. I, yeah. Like I say, this is this is all from Tom Weaver. He's yeah. saying they had some falling out prior to the start of shooting. I'm not sure how much time. Remember how quickly they had to shoot this thing to begin with. Huh. Yeah. So I'm not sure. Mm. You know how much preparation time. I don't know if he was like walked out. You know they walked they walked him in, put mm. script pages in his hands, said you got 15 minutes or what. But you know, mm. yeah. Fuzzy Knight was brought in uh, mm. to uh, replace Andy Devine. Mm. But nevertheless, it would have been uh, might have been just as interesting. I, some people don't like Andy Devine, that weird voice he's got. No, I've never, I've enjoyed. It. I've never had a problem with Andy Devine. I, I don't, I don't have a problem with him either. I don't know that he uh, necessarily would have been better than Fuzzy Knight in this role. Though. I, I mean, yeah, it's, really, I think Fuzzy Knight's fine. Yeah. The more I think about it, and I hate to say I'd not thought about it until you brought it up, but Wallace Ford, you know, once again recreating that entire team from the yeah, Mummy's Hand would have been, been fun. It would have yeah, been cool, yeah. yeah. That would have been fun. Well, at any rate, so we have um, Stuff Oliver, and he's joined. They, they join force with the peg-legged Spanish seaman Tobias Clump, who's played by Leo Carrillo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, Leo Carrillo, there's a guy with a yeah, background. Absolutely. Primarily known because of uh, the Cisco Kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was Poncho. And that is something that I did not realize. I'm just, I hate to say it, but I was just completely clueless about this man's career. Uh, and then when I read, oh, okay, so he played, oh, I get it. So in the TV series, he was Poncho. That's great. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that by the time he played Poncho in that TV series, he was 70. 
Wow, isn't that amazing? 70. 70. Wow. <laughs> he was born in 1880. Oh my gosh. Thing. <laughs> it's like, this guy was... Oh. Anyway. So, uh, Leo Carello had an interesting career as well. He came up through vaudeville. He was also a political cartoonist at one point in his early career. Uh, he was Castilian-Spanish. Traced his ancestry all the way back to uh, the 13th century in Spain. He appeared in over 90 films in his career, and of course, best known for the Cisco Kid. Big surprise there. Mm, yeah. <laughs> but one of the things I found most interesting is he uh, was primarily known to a lot of people in his later life because of his um, his conservationist work. He um, was big into well, for instance, he played a major role in getting uh, California to acquire the Hearst Castle at San Simeon. And uh, he was uh, he was one of the people who was behind getting uh, the Los Angeles Ar- Ar- Arboretum built. Um, get got the uh, Desert State Park at uh, Anze Borgo um, on the books. Uh, was ve- eventually even made a goodwill ambassador by the California governor because of all of the conservationist work. Nice. He was really he was really invested in preserving the environment, and um, that's just something that he did the last you know couple of decades of his life and really heavily yeah. while still also <clears throat> occasionally playing things like you know mm. poncho on television yeah, right so. god i remember i remember watching that man i used to used to love the cisco kid man um i did i had no idea that that's yeah. who it was when i sat down to watch mm. even this time i just had mm. never mm. dug into this fellow's career and mm. was really kind of surprised um sadly he's another he's another one of those He's another one of those men taken from us, well, men and women taken away from us by cancer in 1961. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was 81 at the time. Yeah. So yeah. it's nice to uh, nice to mm-hmm. know that this man uh, could do some things that I would just approve of as a human being outside mm-hmm. of just being somebody mm-hmm. I enjoy on screen as well. Mm-hmm. I like the fact that in this movie, when he's introduced, he seems like a guileless character. But there comes a point about midway through the movie when mm-hmm. you start to have some doubts about whether or not yeah. he's... Yeah. A goodie or a baddie. Yeah, well, what, you know, let's talk about that real quick as far as just sure. in general, we'll talk more as we're going, but what makes, you know, what is what is a real mystery, especially this one with, you know, people all isolated and, you know, several group, a group of people isolated in one house is going to really drive off of is the the people who are red herrings, the characters are red herrings. You know, how many people it sets up as potential to cast suspicion on. And this film does a pretty good job of, 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 of setting up a handful of characters that, you know, that could you're not be, sure about. They could be, yeah. yeah. But but the thing is, the movie also kind of plays a, an odd card it in does. that yeah. we have the people who all go to that island together, and we'll get to that. Yeah. The, yeah. The, we're not rushing ahead. Hold on, we'll get to that. <laughs> but we have all these people who end up on the island together. But we also the movie is, shows us quite distinctly that the phantom character mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. already on the I island yeah. by the time they show up. Yeah. So whoever this person is that's running around doing all this shit mm-hmm. can't be any of the people on the boat. Right. Yeah. So. That that I think is whether by design or by accident, that is a nice little kink in the mm-hmm. plot because mm-hmm. it adds something to it. Because well, okay, well, when things start mm-hmm. to happen, mm-hmm. th- there are these hints in, in different directions, and it's like, well, do we have more than one plot going on here? Yeah. What, what 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 is happening here? <laughs> it makes me think I, I was actually set up for some false expectations by the opening credits because in the credit list, yet at the bottom you see. The Phantom listed as one of the characters, and right yeah. below it, the Stranger. You know, which the Stranger actually <laughs> ends up just being this guy who keeps showing up asking for Bill Moran, and, and I mean, you for sorry, Dick Ferrand's character, Bill Martin. Excuse me, this yeah. guy that keeps showing up 
and and Bill Martin is just sure that he's there to arrest him or serve him a subpoena for something or you know that somebody's after him trying to collect collect the debt and that ends up only being stranger but when I saw the crest I thought oh we're gonna get a phantom and a stranger you know I was like wow this is gonna be awesome you know <laughs> what, what if it's the phantom stranger <laughs> yeah right <laughs> oh lord man okay let's not go down that rabbit hole right. because I will definitely do so okay the salty mariner that would be um, the skipper the, right. the, the the Spanish seaman Tobias Klump also mm-hmm. known as the skipper mm-hmm. the salty mariner owns half of an ancient map which he claims pinpoints the location of a $20 million treasure in Spanish gold and royal jewels. The other half of the map was stolen by a black-caped figure whom the skipper refers to as the Phantom. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, we, we've seen the, scant, the Phantom in the first few minutes of the film lurking around the waterfront there. Yeah. <laughs> I bet I am not the only one because I've noticed it in, in ser- several different uh, notations about this film is that the, the fellow who plays the Phantom... Foy Van Dolsen, because mm-hmm. we get a, a couple of shaded profiles of him at times, and and you could be fooled into thinking that uh, John Carradine is in this movie. <laughs> I'm glad I thought the same thing. I was wondering if you were going to say that because I thought the same thing too. I was like, saying <laughs> that John Carradine in there. <laughs> that, that can't be that. His name. Well, that's it, it, at the time. It's like no, no, no. He was he was a mm. name actor. We you, he'd mm. been in, he'd been mm. in several movies at this point. It's mm. like no, 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 no. This can't be. There's no way. <laughs> Although Bill doesn't really believe in the existence of the treasure, he sees gold dust on the horizon anyway. Why not arrange touristy treasure hunts on Morgan's Island off the Florida coast? After all, the property was left to Bill by his grandfather. Mm -hmm. So, there's this Morgan's Island Mm -hmm. off the coast of Florida that uh, Bill owns. One has to stop, Mm -hmm. and I have to say, there's a beautiful thing about universal horror films that uh, of the 30s and 40s that is something that I really enjoy, but also has a tendency to, if you're not paying strict attention, can lead to some confusion, which is, I'm never sure exactly where one of these damn movies is taking place. <laughs> yeah, for instance, sure, yeah. For instance, where's Viseria? <laughs> yeah, right. Good, good where's, point. Where's Frankenstein? Yeah. Because that becomes the name of a town yeah. later on in the Frankenstein series as well. Sometimes it's even harder to tell exactly what decade the films are taking in place because you there have so many conflicting... Yes, yeah, so you driving around... Yeah, driving through Bavarian villages, you know, with... with uh, so, yeah. Yeah, so that's true. That's a, <laughs> with this film, there's a similar thing mm-hmm. because by the time they start talking about uh, an, an island, mm-hmm. a pirate island, I'm going... Okay, where are we now? So yeah. we're okay. So we're okay. We're in Florida. Good, mm-hmm. good, good. Mm-hmm. And then when we get to the island, and we have that establishing shot of this castle, and they keep talking about a castle on the island, <laughs> and we get this establishing shot of it, and I think, did we go across the Atlantic? Is this off the British coast? Are we in a okay? Oh no, no, no. They, yeah. I mean, there could be a you know. Yes, of course. You know, mm-hmm. you would build mm-hmm. you know uh, an edifice of this type on an mm-hmm. island in the. Well, yeah, okay. I mean, I mean, yeah, yeah, it makes the, sense. It's probably early fine. Spanish settlers. But there is that strange feeling oh, yeah. every yeah, now kind and of what of this doing of a different it's like a yeah feeling like this is kind of an alternate you know yeah. universe feel there which is yeah <laughs> where are we it's like you know are we in Germany no we're not in Germany it, it, seriously yeah no I absolutely know what you're that saying. is a feeling I get from a, yeah. from a number of the universal mm-hmm. horror films which is they take place in this bizarre the Hammer horror films as well yeah. is they, like, it's like they take place in this weird kind of Alternate Middle Europe mm-hmm, mm-hmm. at times. Mm-hmm. Not that this one does. Not that Horror Island does at all. But <laughs> those movies are just like, where, where are we? Yeah. And he he well, was there. He was there 
a day ago, right? Yeah. Because he said he was there like yesterday. Mm-hmm. And it gets all confusing. I don't know well, what I was going to say. If we, feel, if we feel that way now, when we start getting more into the Mummy films even further? <laughs> oh, yeah. We'll talk about the Mummy timeline eventually. Don't worry. He says, although Bill doesn't really believe in the existence of the treasure, so he's going to do this anyway because he thinks this is a great way mm-hmm. to get rich quick. Mm-hmm. He's going to create this whole, he creates a whole company mm. where they're going to ferry people over who are going to, quote unquote, hunt for Morgan's gold mm-hmm. because he thinks it's all crap. Yeah. It's fake map and all this. He'll, 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 so he and Fuzzy Knight, the mm-hmm. stuff Oliver character, go over, get the, get the castle and the island all set up so that they have all these tricks to play mm-hmm. on people when they get there. Mm-hmm. And the whole idea is to take people over. Have them pay, what was the fee? I can't remember. It was 100 bucks. Something like that, bucks, maybe. Like that. 50, I think. 50. That's and the idea is. is you go over and you, you stay overnight in the mm-hmm. castle mm-hmm. and you have a kind of an adventure. Yeah. And then you come home. It's yeah. Like, you know, and you're not going to find treasure, but if you get, you know, you get some fun scares. And so you'll hopefully go back and, you know, and saying, hey, that was a great trip. And, 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 you're, sta- and you're staying overnight. So if you take yeah. your girl with you, maybe she gets scared and you get lucky. That's there right. You. That's right. Well, um, after rigging up the island's 400-year-old pirate castle with a variety of spook trappings, Bill leaves port with his first boatload of eager weekenders. The guest list includes heiress Wendy Creighton, that's Peggy Moran's character, Mm -hmm. her fortune-hunting suitor Thurman Coldwater, (laughs) played by Lewis Howard. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's let's talk about fun with names here. Yeah, yeah, that is a great name, Thurman Coldwater. Thurman Coldwater. Now, I love when we get introduced. We get introduced to Peggy Moran's character when um, I want to get introduced to Peggy Moran. (laughs) Of course, you do. When Bill and uh, Stuff are pulling out, they're in their car pulling mm-hmm. out away from the curb, and mm-hmm. they have a, a small fender bender mm-hmm. with uh, Wendy Creighton, Peggy Moran's character. And uh, this is when we introduce to her as they have a, it's, it's a bit of a meet-cute yeah, situation. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. you know, honestly, she she seems to really want to have mm-hmm. a, um, <laughs> have him pay for the, yeah. for the, <laughs> for the damage done to his, mm-hmm. done to her car. And, we meet not just her, but uh, Thurman Coldwater, who <laughs> seems to really just want to spend all of the time that he can possibly yeah. spend asleep. Yes, which, of course, makes him another nice red herring. You know, yes. he's almost too lazy and harmless to, to be uh-huh. totally trusted. Uh-huh. Yeah. And uh, it's clear that both uh, Wendy, since she's an heiress, and uh, Thurman mm-hmm. Coldwater are, mm-hmm. you know, wealthy people mm-hmm. who, you know, have plenty of time on their hand and yeah. have the money to throw away on doing this kind of weekend yeah. excursion. And, uh, I do like that um, they don't play it up, but if if you're paying attention and you're an adult, there's got to be that thing in the back of Bill's head of, hey, this woman's got money. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> they don't play that up. Though. No, but but he kind of gives, uh, I believe he challenges her to a double or nothing, doesn't he? Doesn't he say yeah, yeah. something like, I'll pay for the damages if you come to this island and you don't have a good time. But, uh, you know, but I'm, right. he's, he's banking on the fact that he's going to bring out there and she's going to have such a good time that she'll, 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 she'll say, say, she'll forget say, the debt. Call it even, yeah. Uh, also on this trip, we have uh, you could say he, he seems he seems like a man on the run. <laughs> he seems like he definitely seems like a criminal on the run. Uh, a character named Rod Grady, yeah, played by Ray, uh, Ralph Harold, and his uh, rather blousy wife mm-hmm. uh, Arlene. Mm-hmm. And uh, the the two of them come off like they, it's like they just they just stepped out they just stepped out of a yeah. uh, film noir and, and yeah. like found themselves yeah. in yeah and they they established pretty early on that they're up to something we don't know Something's why but the com- communications between them they're planning something. Uh, we also have Sergeant Magoon, <laughs> played <laughs> by Walter Catlett, mm-hmm. uh, a mappy a, a, a I'm sorry a mousy map expert Jasper Quinlan. Mm-hmm. 
uh, I'm sorry, Quinlay, mm-hmm. uh, played by Hobart Cavanaugh, and Bill's greedy cousin George, John Eldridge, uh, mm-hmm. who wants the island for himself. Now, here's the thing. Soon after they have this whole, you know, half of a map dropped in their lap, they mm-hmm. come up with this whole get-rich-quick scheme, which I love that the, the peg-legged... Spanish pirate is going along with this whole idea because he's just like, give me to the island yeah. and y'all can play whatever games you yeah, want right. and I'm going to try to find the actual yeah. gold. Yeah. Uh, but we, we we have soon after this, uh, the greedy cousin George show up and make an offer to Bill to buy the island off of it. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. this is mm-hmm. a this is an mm-hmm. offer that Bill, you know, 20 minutes earlier mm-hmm. would have taken immediately. Mm-hmm. What? Yes. Yeah. Of course, you may buy this useless chunk of land off of me. Yeah. And, but, just that, you know, he's now got this map and this whole idea in his head, and it's not the idea of twenty million in gold, which he doesn't believe in, mm. but the idea that hey, I can put this stupid thing to use. This is the perfect way to milk people for mm. for years and years and years. I'll have a business. I'll have an yeah. actual business. Yeah. So he refuses, and of course, he immediately becomes suspicious about old cousin George because well, wait a minute. Did he get wind of this whole mm-hmm. map yeah. thing? Did he get some kind of inside info on this thing somehow or another? So we have a group here headed out to this island. Oh, and of course, Sergeant Magoon is someone that just gets uh, is is a a completely comical character who gets mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. drawn into mm-hmm. this entire endeavor, mm-hmm. uh, basically because he's um, well, he should be doing his job and, and hauling yeah. and hauling Bill in for debts, but that's mm-hmm. neither here nor there. Go back to sleep. I'll handle this. Why don't you look where you're going, lady? I thought so. A man driver. Well, you're not so hot yourself. Where's your driver's license? Where's yours? I don't suppose you're insured. Certainly not. I never touched the stuff. Well, who's going to pay for the damages to my car? Damages? A little paint scraped off, that's all. Besides, you were doing 60. 70. Perhaps you'd like to see my lawyer. Now, relax. My man here will take care of everything. Sure. All we have to do is unhook these fenders, straighten this lamp out. I... (laughs) I think it'll be cheaper if you let me have it fixed. It just dropped off. Where shall I send the bill? Now, wait a minute. How much do you think it'll be? Well, if you call your man off right away, you might get by for $200. Listen, I don't want to buy this heap. Perhaps you'd like to settle this thing in court. That's all right with me, lady. My car. Rumba lessons, huh? Wrong one. Escorts and... <laughs> you That's certainly get around. Barry Treasure Incorporated, 227 Front Street. Well, that's right. Right here. Come on in the office. We'll settle everything. Hey, Stuff, get unhooked there and get over the island. Right. Here, hold us, will you? Uh, somebody give me a hand here, will you? Well, once they get to the island, mayhem erupts almost immediately. Oh, we should also just say oh. real quick that they there's an attempt to blow up the boat just as they're leaving. There is an explosive. Oh, yeah. You're there is a right. package that is that uh, they try to deliver uh, to the boat just as they're pulling off, and it gets dropped into the water accidentally and then explodes, and, and they realize that somebody tried to deliver a bomb. Uh, they're expecting, they're figuring, yeah. I think at this point it's the Phantom is what they're, I think, or the town is what they're generally sus- suspecting. Which is also the first bit of information that tells us that no matter what, nobody on that boat, nobody who's actually on that mm-hmm. boat... We try to blow the boat up when they're yeah. on it. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. this is looking interesting. Mm-hmm. 
So uh, the skipper, uh, once they right after they get for, right after they get to the island and are, and, and are starting to walk around the uh, uh, the castle and get introduced to the location, uh, the skipper is nearly skewered by an arrow fired off by an ancient suit of armor. Mm-hmm. And how many times have we, how many times have we seen I, that scene in a film? I was about to say there's another thing you know throwing the old suit of armor. Never turn your back on a suit of armor in an old. <laughs> well, <laughs> okay. well, it's like you know if there's a crossbow being held it's by crossbow, anything, yeah, yeah. and it's Cocked. Yeah, and loaded and cocked. Don't get yeah. in front of it. <laughs> and then Wendy has a similar close call of her own. Mm-hmm. Uh, later on, she's visited in her room by the Phantom himself. Oh, I thought you were going to talk about the fact that the suit of armor almost falls on her at some yes. point. You're right before even that, you know, that uh, that the suit of armor. Well, there's a lot of silliness with these suits yeah. of armor. Yes, there is. Over the course of the yeah. film. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a... Later on, there's a body that ends up in a suit of armor, and it just—I'm sorry, there's not enough time for that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that would have taken a lot of time and been really loud. So, doesn't work. Yeah, these things just didn't have a zipper in the back of them that you just step, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> step, you into. just step into. And yeah. Just, uh, yeah, actually, that night, once they once they settle in, she she is visited in a room by the Phantom himself. This castle belongs to the spirits of the dead. <laughs> now she hears this, mm. and it's you know terrifying death waits for those who dare spend the night here well you know hey <laughs> this is that old eddie murphy routine yeah. oh, sorry we can't sorry, stay honey time to go <laughs> gotta go <laughs> but um well she seems to she figure out what i think she's kind of figured out thinks, pretty quick she thinks that what bill i think she's the one who kind of right. figures out pretty quickly and now in this case she's wrong but she thinks that this is all part of his you know his his scheme to, to scare people and right 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 and you know we we pretty quickly she go she goes to Bill and goes oh, okay what 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 were you mm-hmm. doing with this what were you doing with this I you know I heard mm-hmm. the, the voice mm-hmm. over the loudspeaker mm-hmm. and he and Fuzzy are going what are mm-hmm. you talking I didn't no I didn't do that but Fuzzy really doesn't he's no he's not really going to be believed in that case because he's already started <laughs> making yeah. noises over yeah. loudspeakers yeah. in the place anyway because they have a whole little room set mm-hmm. up mm-hmm. where they have all these tricks you know strings to pull and mm-hmm. and uh, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. PA system set up some you know some place there mm-hmm. in the uh, in the place to give them an echoey voice and things of this nature. But so, Bill thinks so far these things that have almost killed people. He's really kind of he's he's mad at Fuzzy for doing it. Say like, what well, you're going too far with this stuff. Whereas Fuzzy's trying to tell him that I didn't set I that didn't up. That this. wasn't me. Yeah. <laughs> there are a lot of great shots of uh, the Phantom during this section. There's a lot of great shadowy angled shots mm-hmm. of the, the the phantom lurking around and once again like i say the film is very clever in one respect in that we know the phantom's there before mm-hmm. the people on the ship get there mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. we have the phantom so here in a little while when things like i say short running time when yeah, things start yeah. to go berserk mm-hmm. um we can be sure that there's more going on than just this tall John Carradine looking dude mm-hmm. doing do you know doing nasty yeah. nasty things, but not to uh, get too far ahead of ourselves. There does come a point where I think the film is throwing too many too many things at the wall mm-hmm. to see what sticks, mm-hmm. and uh, even <laughs> and one of the things I think is the countdown the chalk countdown on the wall yeah which just seems like. Um, it's 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 like a one step over the line, but because mm-hmm. it, it it's it doesn't work for me. But we'll mm-hmm. we'll get to that mm-hmm. when uh, well l- later that night we we then we we definitely discover what our uh, supposedly obvious <laughs> film yeah. noir yeah. criminal yeah. Mar- yeah. married couple <laughs> are up to because their whole idea was to uh, they wanted they want they wanted to get out of uh, get out of the country quickly because he's so on they, the run. Yeah, he's. Yeah. A- He's on the run, so they decided to uh, take this little excursion up to this island, 
And then uh, when when night falls and everybody starts is supposed to be in bed, their whole idea is to uh, steal the boat mm. off the island and mm. make their getaway to wherever they want to go without mm. having to worry about uh, you know going yeah. to a port. Pretty smart, actually. Mm. But as they go to do this, uh, Rod gets shot dead mm-hmm. <laughs> when attempting to leave the island, and the party quickly realizes that the Phantom means business. Tracing the alleged location of the treasure to an old torture chamber, Bill and his partners discover a jewel box with a gold coin inside. The Phantom, hidden behind a drape, is about to strike again when yet another suit of armor discharges yet another arrow, piercing the mystery man's heart. So now the Phantom is dead. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we've got dead gangster dude uh-huh. and, 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 yeah. his, and his wife flipping out. Although flipping out is as far... I like the fact that the, yeah. the, 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 the uh, gangster wife mm-hmm. was already like making eyes at... <laughs> at Cousin George. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which, you know, hey... You know, look, they, they mm. seem to be a, mm. a match made in heaven slash hell. Yes, so yeah, right. Why not, why not let that happen? <laughs> but we get the Phantom drilled by mm. a crossbow bolt. The, oh, well, the skipper then identifies him. They, you know, they they they, they, get, they now get a look at him. And the, 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 dead, the dead Phantom guy is someone that uh, the skipper knew as Panama Pete, yeah. a former shipmate of his who was there when the skipper first discovered mm. the map. And they see his the fact that he's been wearing a shoe that's got a peg leg at the bottom of it because oh, yeah, he's yeah, made these right. tracks earlier on to cast with to cast uh, suspicion onto the skipper yep. because the skipper had disappeared for a while because like we said he wasn't interested in anything else while they were yep. doing their thing he's gone off to find these clues to the treasure but that's also made him made them suspicious of him for a while especially when they find these tracks these peg tracks in the sand but turned out they were created by the phantom which is another one of these things in the movie where it's just like Wow, he's really going out of it. Okay, so that would you go out? Of, would you go out of your way to cast you know suspicion onto someone who you would already be suspicious of anyway? Who knows how the mind of a phantom wor- works, especially when he looks like John Carradine? I got it. The scene where we've kind of skipped past past, but just to back up oh, a little I'm bit, sure. the scene where he the phantom. I guess his only real immediate interaction that we see in the film with somebody is when he menaces, you know, Peggy Moran's character when he menaces Wendy when she's asleep. Yeah, she wakes up and sees him. And the fact that she, you know, it's one of those things where I know it's kind of a common trope in films like this, but just where she, where she fades dead away, the, yes. you know, you're just like, oh come on, really, you know. Well, and then she, she screams, and then she later when uh, Bill comes in there and she's talking about he had a horrible face, so just like really, that, that's probably that pretty horrible. unkind, you know. It's like it's, it's not, just, just looking like John Carradine is not that's not, not necessarily a horrible, horrible face. Oh, no. What it made me think of was, and again, this is what I said about the film kind of playing as as close as it could to the not upset the codes people, you yeah. know, the day because it made me think of when the comic code came out and for years there when especially when they were reprinting an earlier horror comic tale, if it had originally had a rotting corpse, you know, they had to redraw it to look like more like just an old woman or something with you know with white hair. You know, they had to clean up the artwork and make it less horrific. You know, that's sort of what it made me think of <laughs> that this phantom who's maybe when whoever was originally writing the script probably had some idea of him having some kind of horrible disfiguring makeup and then when it came to actually film it they're just like no no we can't get that past there you know we, we gotta make this well, not only like that you know, we just we don't have the time and, yeah we don't have the time and so we're just gonna so but it doesn't look good on her character when she just like you know totally just faints I mean as feisty as her character's been I really think she probably would have just slugged the guy you know well, and that's <laughs> it I mean because she has yeah. been painted as a pretty feisty character yeah, yeah. up to this point and then she's fainting dead away yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, I'd like to say the director George Wagner. Um, like yeah. I say, this yeah. was this was this was built to be a double bill with the movie he made the same year, Man Made Monster. Mm-hmm. This you know this is uh, one of those rare instances where the same director made the top and the bottom of a double bill. And I, I don't think it's going to be any shock for people to hear us say that I th- this is definitely the weaker of the two films. Yeah, I think so too. Not, yeah. not that there's not a lot of enjoyment no, to be no. had here, but yeah. one of the things that I think makes it um, so much weaker is that sense that. I'd forgotten to mention the fake peg leg tracks in mm-hmm. the sand that you mm-hmm. brought up. Yeah. Because to me, it's just another one of those <laughs> little pointless yeah. things thrown into mm-hmm. the mix to just kind of muddy the waters here and there. And it seems if I were to extract, mm-hmm. if, if I were to sit and like pull out all of the things in the movie that I don't think, the, the, the little bitty things like that that don't yeah. really need to be there that just, mm-hmm. to just muddy the water and to throw, mm-hmm. you know, suspicion onto a character for, yeah. you know, for like two minutes of screen time. Right, yeah. I, this, this would be a 45 minute long movie, I think. Because mm-hmm. there's, a, there's, a, there's a lot of that which yeah. is um, a, a little, a little um, worrisome when I think about, you know, how short the runtime is and how there are moments in the in the in the narrative where I feel like okay, it's mm-hmm. we need to actually get this thing going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially in the first, I say third, mm-hmm. almost as if we need to go ahead and get they're they're taking their time to establish the characters and get them all on screen and then get them on the boat and then get them on the island. Yeah, and it's relatively quick when you look at the amount of screen time, but it feels a little mm-hmm. too long yeah. at times. Yeah, I can see what you're saying. I can see what you're saying, yeah. That, that uh, yeah, that, that whole prelude felt like the prelude, or the early segment of a, more like a 90-minute film or something, or yeah, at least a, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. And, then it, and then it feels like, once we get to the island, it doesn't feel rushed, It because re- it, it really does not feel rushed. I mean, not the narrative. Mm-hmm. But what, what it feels like is as if there's there's the... Secrets that need to be revealed about you know specific characters, mm-hmm. and we need to to take care of the, the, the that we got to figure out the phantom, mm-hmm. and then once they've once they've killed the phantom, and we yeah. know who he was and, and what was going mm-hmm. on. It's like well then okay well then we're just hunting for the treasure, right? Mm-hmm. But there are still other things in mm-hmm. the story that are going to crop up that they're not completely satisfying. They're just barely on the edge mm-hmm. of goofy. Mm-hmm. And one of those things is, well, our sleepwalking character. <laughs> I was I was wondering. If yeah, you knew I was going there. I love that he's even such a classic sleepwalking character that he actually walks with his arms out. You know, like yeah, the, like, yeah. <laughs> and it's like okay, I guess we're supposed. Okay, fine. We're in a silly mm-hmm. film. This is this, yeah, I yeah. Was, I mean, I thought it was yeah. It was. It was I didn't mind it that much. I just thought it was funny that, that he went so far as to have him walking like the Frankenstein monster or something. Yeah, like. it's it's really strange. I mean, the thing is though, there are still more murders that go on. I mean, like mm-hmm. we we now have the the whole map because they now now that Panama Pete, mm-hmm. aka mm-hmm. the Phantom, is dead, they now mm-hmm. have both parts of the map, mm-hmm. so they're able to. Like look at the entire map and figure the whole thing out. So now we're gonna figure out whatever was on the map. So we got Bill's stuff and the skipper. Well, well, first we have to deal with the fact that Wendy disappears. Mm-hmm. Then mm-hmm. George, uh, cousin George, is found shot to death, and his mm-hmm. body is stuffed inside a suit of armor. Yeah, and that's the that's the whole thing where <laughs> yeah. it's just like we just saw George yeah. a few minutes yeah. before. You didn't have time to <laughs> silently get this guy's mm-hmm. corpse into mm-hmm. the body in, into mm-hmm. the into the suit of armor. <laughs> 
So I'm like, okay, okay, whatever. And, and and throughout it all, all the characters' reactions to every death are just like, you know, as though they like ripped the sleeve on their coat or something, you know. I mean, it's just, again, it's just keeping with that, oh, let's keep the mood light, but we're going to yeah. have these murders here, but we can't really people get too traumatized by them. So even as, a, you know, as even his family members, oh, it's just Cousin George, well, he's dead, you know. it's just He's, it's, he's in a suit of armor. Hey, yeah, 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 isn't that yeah, funny? Yeah. It's like, eh, no, it's not really. But like throughout this whole evening, Bill has repeatedly found Quinley the the map expert wandering around mm-hmm. sleepwalking mm-hmm. and it's like okay so we really okay it's a comedic film you mm-hmm. know or or a light mm-hmm. a light film i guess that's the best way to phrase it so we'll accept this sleepwalking silliness but we do get to the point where bill quote unquote gets wise to quinley mm-hmm. who he has discovered sleepwalking through the castle corridors and then calls him on this crap and says, hey, real sleepwalkers don't stop to put on slippers. <laughs> and I'm going, are you sure of that? <laughs> really? You could always, he could have always, are you sure? he could have always fallen in bed with his, his fallen asleep in bed with well, his slippers on, that. you know, I mean, or he could, yeah. How far out of the realm of possibility is it for a sleepwalker to, I mean, if a sleepwalker's going to open doors, I, right? I know a guy who once claimed to have made a batch of cook, chocolate chip cookies in his uh, while sleepwalking. You know, Which so I mean, that's hey, me. you know, and weird things happen. With, well, uh, just interrupt you with the sleepwalk. Going, we're still talking about the sleepwalker for a second yeah. there. What, you know, there's one part of the movie where he's sleepwalking. We see this hand mysteriously reach out and grab him and yank him, you know, out of the hallway. Right. Which we suspect is okay. That must be the the evil person, or you know, whoever's behind all this is doing this is somehow caused harm to the professor. It turns out that it was Rod and Arlene. While they were getting ready to sneak away and steal the boat, grab the professor and tied him up in yeah. you know, bed to keep him from hurting himself. You know, is what they say. It's just like sleepwalking. Yeah. It's just that, that. That's really a strange touch that I just don't. <laughs> well, that, that's what. That's one of the things. Now, if 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 I was going to level, uh, you know, a, mm-hmm. more a a, a a serious criticism against this film, other mm-hmm. than feeling like it, it might take a little bit too long to get going. Mm-hmm. It would be that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There are so many disparate, mm-hmm. you know, mystery thriller mm-hmm. elements mm-hmm. that are mm-hmm. being thrown into this mm-hmm. that it seems like they kind of like tumble in on each other without a whole lot of yeah. without a whole lot of uh, sense. Sometimes there's yeah. it's yeah. it's like we want to get this in, we want to get this mm-hmm. element in, this element in, and this element in, and mm-hmm. they are a, they're a bit confused in mm-hmm. the way they line up. Mm-hmm. So not everything. It's not a question of them necessarily making sense. It's that the post hoc justification for certain actions seems a little sillier than it needs to be. Yeah. Because it seems as if they're justifying doing something because they wanted this image or they mm. wanted a quick scare or they yeah. wanted a, 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 a silly jump scare or something of this nature. And so they have to kind of come up with a, you know, that post hoc, the post hoc reasoning for it after, you know, well mm-hmm. after the yeah. fact. And yeah. It's like, Okay, okay. <laughs> and the film remains light enough that I'm okay oh, with it. Yeah, I'm yeah, good. exactly, yeah. Uh, I don't know that we want to... Uh, well, it's a lot... We, we could go ahead and... You want to spoil it's, the I, Man, I'm leaving that to you. It's your, 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 your show, man. You know, you're... you're, um, you're, you're well, I tell you what. This film is a little underseen. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know that we... I don't know yeah, how this... much joy we would get out of, out of uh, giving away the whole ending. But um, let's just say that they do eventually, quote-unquote, find the treasure... Mm-hmm. Uh, and we do find out the uh, person pulling the trigger on on these various uh, gun gun murders yeah. <laughs> because let's admit it at least two people get killed by gunfire yeah, right movie. yeah and um, 
someone's head gets crushed, but they 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 carefully yeah. make sure that yeah. you don't realize that you yeah. know the head was just squished because yeah. that's the only way that scene makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the movie ends. Mm-hmm. Well, by the way, I, I do like the tag when the quote unquote stranger character shows up at the end. Yeah. And oh, oh, that's a classic. Yeah. Yeah. The the character it is not a bill collector. It's someone from the yeah. U, it's yeah. someone from the U.S. Right. government. Who uh, is wants to talk to Bill about buying that island from him? This is it is 1941, you know. After all, yes, it is. And and so, so if you if you if you've written yourself into a corner or just you're not sure how to, you can always call in the. At that time, it was always call in the <laughs> the old patriotic ending there. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Let's have, let's have the, the, the the government needs this island off the coast of Florida for some reason in 1941. <laughs> what might that be? But what might that reason be? <laughs> well. um... Overall, what would you, what what would you what do you think now that you've seen it? What do you think of Horror Island? What do you think of it in, well, in, in it, general? I found it a you know breezy sixty minutes of fun. I mean, I did enjoy it again because it just has it has cast people in the cast I enjoy. It had a, a you know a, it was it was it was a appealing time waster. I would say um, I would probably rank it. I'd probably give it a six. Um, but it's a fond six. I mean, yeah. it's the kind of thing that wouldn't kill me to sit through it again. It'd probably be a long time before I do, but I could see myself at some point digging it out or, you know, and, and, and give it another, you know, years down the line, give it another run through and just enjoying the, again, just enjoying the whole setting atmosphere and all the little elements we talked about that we enjoy in these kind of films. Well, like I say, there, there's, especially in those first 10 or 15 minutes, mm-hmm. uh, especially the first 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. It's got that misty, atmospheric night night shots mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. along the along the waterfront yeah, there, the yeah. pier, mm-hmm. and uh, that whole setup where you've got this creepy phantom person going, mm-hmm. you know, creeping along in, in mm-hmm. areas, and you're not mm-hmm. sure what's going on yeah. yet, and you're being slowly introduced mm-hmm. to the to the scenario. It really does feel like a universal horror film. It really mm-hmm. does have the correct atmosphere, and I and I enjoy that. The um, I understand what they're doing, but there's all, there there really are mm. kind of too many characters. Yeah, too many characters, and and I probably would have, I mean, I would have enjoyed maybe a little bit more buildup of suspense there, a little bit more tension, or maybe a little bit more of a feel of, you know, of, some yeah. real danger there going on at least, you know. Because I mean, there's never a point in the film, yeah. at least for me, where you really felt anybody was any in, in any real yeah. danger, at least yeah. nobody that you gave a crap right. about. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, because there are so many of these excess mm. characters, mm. and I hate to put it that way, they kind yeah. of are excess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, once the the you know the gangster and his wife show up. And uh-huh. you have the 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 kind of comedic um, uh, the the guys who's sort of the, the uh, down store detective kind yeah. of guy, you know. Or something. And once he once he shows up as well, it's kind of like, well, okay, these you know these mm-hmm. these characters are here to, I guess, eventually mm-hmm. have a body count, mm-hmm. and that's what that's the way it works out is that they're there to be you know fodder for violence or mm-hmm. you know, but the, mm-hmm. the the violence is so soft pedaled here. There may be almost too many comedic characters in it. Maybe too much comic. Maybe. maybe a little bit too much comic relief. It's not that any of them do bad within themselves, but it's 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 just you know really maybe it'd have been more effective if if you left that to fuzzy and the rest of the characters are all maybe a little bit more menacing or a little bit more serious in in in, in tone. As characters to to make you really believe they could possibly be our you know culprit or could possibly at least be somebody to to, to fear you know I just felt in general that it it, it probably it, it's almost maybe just a little too light altogether to be a thriller you know as as it was trying to be. Well, we've talked about how quickly they had to make this film because of a delay when they uh, a delay of when they were supposed to start filming it. Uh, supposedly had only a twelve day shooting schedule, and uh, wow. <laughs> yeah, the director Wagner apparently worked his crew um, until midnight most of those nights. Um, 
the the editor uh, Otto Ludwig screened and edited the footage during production to save time. So mm-hmm. as soon as footage was called mm-hmm. called print, it was it was it was wow. being shuttled out there wow. to get worked on. At one point during production, Dick Ferran came down with a cold, had to miss one of the days of work. So consequently, his last scene was cut out of the script altogether in order to bring the film in on schedule at 11 p.m. on the night of March the 15th. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, you do you do want to cut it a little more slack when you hear stuff like that. I mean, that's not easy, especially dealing yeah. with a film where you got to make sure that, I mean, you kinda, you're kind of you trying to go by a script that's, that's got to account for where all the characters are at any moment, you know, where because you want it to hold up overall. If somebody looks at it and says, like, okay, this happened here, this happened here. So that's an awful lot of continuity and things to have to juggle in 12, in 12 days. Well, I will say that uh, all the basic elements, you know, the, the, the ancestral castle, all the red herrings, mm-hmm. all the silly clues pointing to the whereabouts of a treasure, mm-hmm. um there is such a big amalgam of them that the script is a is a, is a little it's a, it's a little bit of a it's a little bit of a mess mm-hmm. uh, and I think that if the if the script had had if they'd had a little bit more time to to like take another pass at that script mm-hmm. it could have been mm-hmm. better because yeah. honestly the the characters the characters themselves are really just kind of you know stereotypes no, car- kind of yeah. cardboard cutouts that mm-hmm. in some cases are brought mm-hmm. to life by some pretty decent performances yeah I still think Dick Ferran and Peggy Morgan. I'm sorry, poor Peggy Moran. Mm-hmm. I keep doing it because Morgan's <laughs> yeah. Island, the Dave Morgan's Island thing. I think the two of them are really good here. Yeah, they are. But they already, you know, they already shared a chemistry from mm-hmm. working together before, and so mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. on-screen pairing kind of works. Mm-hmm. Fuzzy Knight is is entertaining because yeah. he's got the sidekick thing down, yeah. even knowing yeah. that he came in at the very last minute to mm-hmm. replace Andy Devine. Mm-hmm. He still does a pretty good job. So I think that just having a bunch of really good actors who were, mm-hmm. you know, in the thick of it, mm-hmm. who knew their craft, you know, who knew their mm-hmm. craft could work, mm-hmm. could work, could work under whatever schedule was provided to them, mm-hmm. allows this film to kind of get by in certain areas when it probably shouldn't. Yeah, I'm, li- I like you. I think mm-hmm. I kind of fall somewhere in the middle, mid range. I kind of enjoy mm-hmm. it enough. It's mm-hmm. somewhere between a five and a six yeah. for me. Mm-hmm. That's why I wasn't um, yeah. sort of yeah, weighing those two. It's like I don't dislike the film at all. Yeah. I, I think yeah. it, I think it's fun, and mm-hmm. honestly, at, at the right time on a, on, on a late night, yeah. You know, I, I really enjoy watching this movie. I do mm. enjoy it. I, mm. I get a kick out of it each time I watch it, even though I'm, as it's going on, going, <laughs> okay, this element doesn't work. A little, yeah. and this, this element mm. doesn't work, and this yeah. element could have been a little bit better, or this or the other. I still get such a feel for this film. It's got it's got the right atmosphere. Mm. It's made in that, that, that time period when Universal was churning these things out, and so there's just a certain number of things that are in place that just feel right mm-hmm. to me mm-hmm. that... It kind of glosses over the disappointments I may I may have with some smaller or maybe even some larger elements of the yeah. of the film. Mm-hmm. So I, I still enjoy it. Yeah. One of the things. Uh, so so essentially, I guess we're saying, uh, you know, mm-hmm. your mileage may vary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're a fan of these kind of pictures, mm-hmm. you probably get a kick out of it. If mm-hmm. you're not, then yeah. beware. Yeah. Um, I get a kick out of paying attention to the critics, the contemporaneous criticism of films of this type. There's a lot of fun to be had mm-hmm. looking back at some of these pictures that we absolutely adore mm-hmm. and seeing what critics thought of them at the time. Mm-hmm. And it's also fun when looking at a movie like this that is so underseen and so underknown. Mm-hmm. What was it thought of at the time when it came out? Mm-hmm. This is pretty good. This is from The Hollywood Reporter. It says, The screenplay is a loose affair. The mysterious goings-on never quite believable nor sufficiently funny to be a farce. 
Wagner gets all the action possible from the script in hand. His direction is first rate throughout, as is the photography of Elward Br- uh, Bridell. Uh, let me stop for a second. Yeah. I do want to make mention of the fact that, yeah, the photography in this film is really nice. It the, is. The, the yeah. print on the DVD of this, uh, this is a beautiful, yeah, this is a beautiful it looking fantastic. picture. It really yeah, does. it really does look good. Uh, back to The Hollywood Reporter. Uh, the cast all do justice to their assignments, but the brightest performance is that of Lewis Howard repeating his drowsy repeating his drowsy characterization. He sleeps as others are murdered, and that's the <laughs> that's the uh, the a feet kind of snoozing yeah. uh, character that um, is uh, is actually one of the better played and more amusing I, ones in there because I, I found him fun. I found him funny too. Yeah. Actually, he didn't overplay it. They didn't overdo it. It's just right. what he's got there and his few lines and his little bits. They're actually pretty pretty fun. Well, it's not only that. I think some of it is. That character is not built on dialogue that could go south if it yeah. was not written well enough. Yeah. It's really just based on that actor's mm. acting and his facial expressions and the whole mm. attitude yeah. of the character. Yeah. So I love that. I, I like mm. that character. I like attitude. the way he's played attitude. in the film. So yeah. well done there. He sadly uh, died fairly young, and I believe he committed suicide. That actor, Lewis oh my goodness, Lewis Howard, yeah. Oh, yeah. that's right. I remember reading something about yeah. that. Yeah, committed. Uh, Lewis Howard uh, committed suicide at age thirty-two. Oh my goodness, yeah. that's too yeah. young. Yeah, very much so. That's a shame. That's a shame. Yeah. I, I'm glad we can enjoy him in films like this still, though. Yeah. But oh, that's that's a shame. Um, the New York Daily News. Gave it two and a half stars, replete with all the claptrap of the mystery film. Pretty Peggy Moran plays Wendy nicely, and Dick Ferran is the gullible Bill Martin to the life. Uh, Harrison's report from April 5, 1941. The story is silly, and the direction is stilted. Even the performances lack conviction. Situations presumably meant to be eerie and frightening turn out to be just ridiculous. As entertainment, its appeal will be directed mostly to juveniles. Yeah, I guess so. We've been called worse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, certainly. We've definitely been called worse. That is, that's true. The New York Times, March 31st, 1941. It's not much fun nor very frightening, but it's innocent and anyone can play. It is also suitable for kiddies' birthday parties and church socials. <laughs> Basically summing yeah. up what you've been saying this all is, along. This is, is music film. to the code's ears, man. Uh-huh. This is what they wanted their horror movies to be. I'm actually surprised they even let them keep horror in the title. You know, you'd figure that they'd even like, like, <laughs> make them change it to something else. Yeah, you're, I guess you're right to a degree. I hadn't really thought about the, the you know, the whatever words might be in the title. Um, this is from uh, the New York Post, March 31st. This is a nicely paced quickie that throws all the elements together, hopes for the best, and is contented with considerably less than that because, after all, how much did it cost to make anyway? (laughs) (laughs) The trouble with the picture is that it tries so hard to be scary, funny, and mysterious that the component parts never come together. The frightening parts tend to be funny, the funny parts are just a little frightening, and the mystification is just plain subterfuge on the part of the plot maker. (laughs) That's pretty good writing. I like that. Overall, it's a fun little quickie. Yeah. Never going to be the best of this, even of this year, I, uh, I yeah. would say. Yeah. yeah. But um, I can I could easily understand having a night with some friends and recreating the double feature of man-made monster that, and horror yeah. island. Yeah. And having a whole lot of yeah, fun. Yeah, it. it would be fun to do. You're right. That would be mm-hmm. cool. Mm-hmm. I've often wondered how many people go out of their way. Do people go out of their way to do something like that? I mean, 
to recreate the uh, famous for, double for bills fun. and stuff. Yeah, yeah no, I would, I would think so. I mean, it's, it's. I'm surprised that we haven't done more of that among our friends. You know, to pick That's those true. kind of. I mean, I would be all about a Godzilla versus the Smog Monster paired with the frogs. You know, <laughs> paired with, frogs, with frogs. You know, that was a <laughs> that was a, a good, double bill. You're yeah, right. yeah. You know, uh, you got uh, Beast from Haunted Cave. I think that was paired with. Uh, oh gosh, what was it? Um, it might have been the uh, oh gosh, was it the giant leeches? I'm trying to remember what it was. Anyway, there's just some oh, great, there's some thing. great fifties. I don't, I maybe, I may be misquoting that, but there's some great, there's some great ones from the fifties, of course, you know, and you know, and then there's always the strange ones too, you know, that, that, that <laughs> well, those would be yeah. fun to recreate too. Is the really, you know, like my favorite would be like, uh, uh, was it, uh, was it Eric the Viking? Or Eric the Conqueror, I guess. Eric the Conqueror, whatever the Bible one was. was oh, yeah, it Eric yeah, yeah. with the uh, Gamera, <laughs> with the first Gamera film, or was it uh, Knives of the Avenger? It was one of the Cameron oh, Mitchell. Maybe it was Knives it was, of the it Avenger. It was one of the Cameron Mitchell Bob Viking films. films or Bible films that was paired with the first Gamera film. <laughs> now, that, that is a double bill I'd love to recreate. <laughs> I wouldn't mind seeing that one in the yeah, theater. Yeah, I mean, where's that time machine? Yeah. <laughs> I think there's something to be had. In the idea of recreating double features mm-hmm. of that yeah. type, and yeah. I think that the last time anything like that was done, I mean, there is the occasional there. There are these. Um, well, it's been, it used to be done with with companies like Sinister Cinema doing those double feature yeah, VHS tapes. Right? Yeah, they would do this. But there have been some uh, attempts to bring that kind of thing to DVD as well, with a couple, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a couple of uh, exploitation films. And the thing is, I think that often the films paired on those DVDs aren't films that were shown as yeah. a double feature, yeah. like a drive-in or something like that. Mm-hmm. And if they are. Uh, I'd love to, I'd love to be wrong about that mm. because that means that there's some you know some DVDs out there that have a nice little extra feature in a way of mm. being drive-in mm. you know set, setups for kind of a drive-in uh, recreation yeah. night. Well, sometimes the and some of these I've seen before will have the ability where you can kind of choose that mode to play it yeah. with trailers before the first film and then some right. trailers and advertisements and things between after it and it will then go into the second film like you were just sitting there at a you know drive in. I mean that's a pretty fun idea. But in those cases I mean I I wonder how many of them are recreating. Or actually well yeah actual authentic yeah, double but, features yeah. Or if they're just being created because they have the rights to these two particular sure. films that they yeah. can put out you know on video. I wonder I, that, that's something I wonder mm-hmm. about. And it's no, there's no good wondering about it. I could actually go research it and figure it out. <laughs> or maybe they're hiding this information <laughs> yeah. from me. Ah, now I'm getting conspiratorial. <laughs> All right, folks, hold on. Uh, we'll take a quick break and come back. And, uh, got the, some mail. Oh, yeah, we've got some mail. We've got uh, one written one and one audio one. So uh, oh. hang on, folks. All right, fellas, here's your story. Greetings, my friend. We are all interested in the future, for that is where you and I are going to spend the rest of our lives. And we cannot keep this a secret any longer. Wait, Captain. I have found evidence of intelligent beings on this planet. Look to the skies. It's the B-Movie Cookbook. Menus inspired by 15 of your favorite B-movies from the 1950s. With teenage werewolves, blobs, and enough cheese for everyone. When we return to our planet, the High Court may well sentence you to torture. But until then, we've got Ed Wood and Vincent Price. There'll be food and drink and ghosts, and perhaps even a few murders. You're all invited. So impress your friends with dinner and a movie with the B-Movie Cookbook. We've got you covered. Get your copy today at bmoviecookbook.com. That's bmoviecookbook.com. Let me see that book. I am interested to see what sways your mind so heavily. Sure thing. Just visit bmoviecookbook.com. Anybody around here want some coffee? All right, everyone. Time to dive back into the mailbag. We've had a couple of pieces of uh, mail come to us. Uh, I'll read out uh, the long-form one here in just a moment. We're going to start off with uh, another audio adventure Mm -hmm. from our buddy Mm -hmm. in Britain. 
Adrian Smith has uh, sent us a, uh, a, a kind of audio diary. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is not one that he's recorded while being attacked by seagulls. <laughs> this is not one that he's recorded while running from hooligans mm-hmm. somewhere in the middle of, uh, mm-hmm. you know, London or England or wherever the heck. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eastburn. Eastbourne. That's where he, yeah. that's where he lives. Yeah. Um, so uh, this should be uh, this should be intriguing. So uh, here's uh, an audio presentation from Adrian. He's the original dummy used for the transformation of a girl into a demon. <laughs> thanks to Sergio Stivaletti and his crew, the thanks came out from the mouth mechanically and the same did the clouds through the fingers. Not bad. Pit. This is Adrian here on location once again. I hope you've enjoyed my little uh, sound picture there that I've created for you. So in order, the first recording was down in the Dario Argento Museum under the Profondo Rosso store in Rome, because that is where I am today. I've come to Rome for a weekend. So uh, if you go down into the Dario Argento Museum, you get a tape of somebody speaking, I think it might be Luigi Cosi, putting on a funny voice, and they talk you through loads of uh, props and stuff from various movies, not all necessarily Dario Argento's, but sort of vaguely connected in some way, it's pretty funny. It's like a, like a walk-through kind of ghost train thing, um, it's pretty funny. Anyway, so that was me there. And then the next bit you heard, I think, was in a church. I caught some mass in a, a basilica. So, you know, real Rome there. And then the uh, I gave you a snippet of what's on TV on every channel, pretty much. It's just some old guy singing. Last night, it was old men talking to each other on chairs. Tonight, every channel seems to be guys singing. Uh, yeah. So I've just been out on my balcony, and I'm in my room, and it's quite late. Uh, but I've had a very tiring but fun day. The main event, obviously, was going to Profondo Rosso. I've been there before, um, but Luigi Cosi was never in uh, when I went before. So this time, after five years since I first visited, I met Luigi Cosi, and he signed all of my Star Crash Spanish lobby cards, of which there are ten. <laughs> and he signed them all, which is awesome. And I also bought his new Blu-ray edition of Star Crash. Even though I already own the um, Roger Corman version, is it Star uh, Shout Factory? Somebody did that, anyway. But now I've got Luigi Cosi's version, which is an Italian Ultimate Edition and it comes with a poster and a booklet and uh, some postcards and all the extras he told me he was very pleased to tell me that they there are new extras and they all have English subtitles so that was really cool <clears throat> and I also bought a book about Antonio Margheriti even though it's in Italian 
and cost me 25 euros. And I don't, I don't yet um, speak Italian, but I'm giving it a good go. So it might be quite good. So have a look through that. I've also picked up a, di- a Diabolic comic today, Il Giallo a Fumetti Inedito. Uh, and also an old copy of a, on a market stall of Dylan Dog which is the one that, that was inspired by uh, the guy in it is modelled on Rupert Everett. And that was why he ended up doing that film Cemetery Man, because there was a big audience, for, a horror audience for him in Italy. So yeah, I've had a pretty fun day. I've seen all kinds of stuff. I've walked at least seven or eight miles today, and I'm quite tired. I've been in catacombs. I've been in Roman ruins. I've had dinner. Uh, oh, I went out for a drink with a film producer um, whose father was the producer of Margariti's last film. And his son, Nicholas, is trying to get the film finished. It's about Genghis Khan. And it starred Charlton Heston. And Margariti was uh, first uh, second unit director on it. So I was talking to him about that, which was really cool. And he's going to... Uh, he let me look at a clip of the film, which he had like an old showreel that was edited together by Margariti back in about 1993 when the film was shot. And he's got all the film now and he's trying to get it edited into a miniseries. He's hoping to get enough funding to get the thing finished. It's a really interesting story about why it didn't get finished in the first place, which he told us, which was pretty cool. So I will write a blog about that at some point. But anyway, so I'm not commenting on a specific show. I did. Uh, I've started listening to your westerns. One. I've never seen any of those um, William Castle westerns, but they sound fun. In fact, I. I mean, I need to watch more William Castle films in general. Um, but I just wanted, as I was here, and the people who would appreciate all the cool stuff I've done today uh, regarding movies. Uh, there's not that many of them. Uh, if I went to work on Monday and tell people, oh, I met Luigi Cosi and he signed my Star Crash uh, lobby cards. There are too many words in that sentence that ordinary people will not understand. But I know I can share it with you guys. So uh, here I am. Thanks for listening. And uh, next time I talk to you, I will probably just be back in England. Okay, bye. Wow. Um, well, Rome already sounds much quieter than <laughs> than England. Than England. But I get exactly what he's saying. You know, I'm sure he's just wanting to scream from his balcony. You know, Luigi Cosi signed my you know, Star Wars. Oh, I know. Just, I know. I'm but you're just right. There's awe. just there's just you got to look. You, you know, there's only a uh, you, you got only certain fringe people like us would be impressed by that. And, uh, I think I think I think it's great to know that he's right. If he, if, he, if he tells us about it, we're mm-hmm. thrilled. And most of the people who are going to be listening to this podcast mm-hmm. would be would be utterly agog at the ability to actually mm-hmm. go to Rome and to For meet Luigi Rosso, Cosi. Yeah, oh, yeah, to, know, see to see that place. How many place. times we always like, oh man, that's like you know, that's like right up there with the Acker Mansion. Always was you know, know. To, to visit. I would just I it would it would be great. And I'm thrilled to know that apparently I'm assuming that this Blu-ray of Star Crash. With all these new extras on it that have English subtitles, I'm assuming this would be an Italian Blu-ray, and now I'm I'm aware of something that I might have to mm, eventually buy. Yeah, yeah, so uh, yeah. I'd not known about this too, so it sounds really intriguing. Uh, we are, of course, in awe and green with envy that Adrian gets to go and do things like this. I'm excited to know more about the Genghis Khan film. Yeah, me too. The uh, that is the great unfinished work from the end of uh, Margariti's career. I think he was doing special effects work on it and shooting second second um, sec, uh, 
sec- the second unit on it. I think mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure that's what was going on. And uh, yeah, the fact that it's this unfinished film that mm-hmm. you know had Charlton Heston and a few other name actors in it as well from the early '90s, for God's mm-hmm. sake, it would be nice to actually finally get a chance to see at least some footage from that. Like you have, Adrian <laughs> would like to see some of it. But if we, if we could just borrow your eyes, <laughs> <laughs> or if we could just you know somehow maybe a Kickstarter would be a good idea to try to get mm-hmm. some funding yeah. to put finish putting together that film. I'd be willing to kick in myself. So you know, and thanks for the sound clips of the first. Although I was. A did make me immediately worry now what has Adrian gotten himself into <laughs> I thought at first you were like you were like strapped to some slab in some dun- dungeon somewhere and then ac- accidentally turned your recorder on there you know to hear these like satanic monks chanting around you or something I wonder what he, that was but. did he do this on his phone and accidentally hit send <laughs> yeah <laughs> what was he doing what was he up to uh, I knew uh, I knew when he was in Rome that he was over there because he, he was posting some neat photos uh, on uh, Facebook while he was over there, and I'm sure on other social media as well. And there was this great, this great photo he had taken of himself with uh, Luigi Cosi there mm-hmm. and uh, Profundo mm-hmm. Russo. That's so I knew that was going on, but I did not, I did not know about the all of the uh, getting, getting the entire run of the lobby cards signed. That's very cool. And yeah, yeah. you're right. It, it, <laughs> Most people that you're going to know would just look at you as if you had just spewed out some some string of foreign words in random combinations if you said that to them. But for us, yeah. we are just yeah. envious and jealous. And man, I'm glad you had such a great time. That's, and uh, that's cool. And thanks for the extra little bit of, of insight into the Roman culture that we now know that there are no young people on Roman television, nor are there any <laughs> women. Apparently, apparently, it is just old men on Roman television. <laughs> and apparently, no no sense of counter programming. Yeah. <laughs> if all of the stations either have one you, night, it's you, all singing. Yeah. <laughs> and the and the next night, it's all old men sitting around in chairs having conversations. <laughs> then, then, then really, you, you pretty much got to go out to the movies. I suppose. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, what else are you going to do? So, Adrian, thank you very much. Uh, people, you can be like Adrian and send us uh, a voicemail or mm. an MP3, however you want to do it. You can do it on your phone or whatever means by which you have to record your voice and send it to us. And you, too, like Adrian, although clearly not you know as cool as Adrian because he goes to Rome and records bits of audio for us there. But hey, you too can record them, you know, in your bathroom or wherever you might want to. I don't mind. And send them to us at thebloodypit at gmail.com. And then we will have your voicemail on here as well. Uh, try an audio collage of interesting things on your own. Although, like I say, how many people get to go to Rome? Well, I was going to say, you can all try and outcool Adrian's trip there, you know, uh, uh, go <laughs> and just send. We like audio travelogues because we never go anywhere. So we just sit here. <laughs> we don't get to go there. No. <laughs> we just sit here and listen to your 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 uh, your travelogues of the cool our, things what, you get to it, do. Was, was, our, our big trips are to Chicago and mm. Pittsburgh. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> those, are, those are our big things. It's yeah. like, ah, yes. I traveled to Huntsville repeatedly to you know <laughs> for different things. Yeah. Yes, we are thrilled. I guess I guess the occasional trip to Florida. Yeah. <laughs> we 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 are uh, we're provincial. <laughs> Sorry, folks. Well, now for our second piece of mail, and this is much more uh, a, much, a much more traditional piece mm-hmm. of uh, email in that it is actually words on the screen. Mm-hmm. So we'll go with uh, this one. This is from Matthew. Matthew is uh, Matthew's writing in pretty 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 uh, regularly to us, and this is great because he's got some interesting POV. I got to tell you, it says Rod and friends. I think you're part of the friends. I'm, I'm the, I'm the, the and the gang. I'm the and the rest. You're and the gang and all the rest. <laughs> yeah. you're, you're, not, you're, you're not even Marianne the professor. 
Hope all is well with you. Great work on the man-made monster episode. Forgot how much I enjoyed that movie. I also forgot how bloody short the film was. However, this one is certainly packed with a lot of good stuff. Cheney does a fine job with his first universal horror role, evoking legitimate sympathy and doing some good physical acting. Lionel Atwill, weird Christmas orgy stuff aside, <laughs> makes for a great mad scientist. Thank you. Yeah. The supporting players, in particular Ann Nagel and Samuel Hines, are all solid. I would like to expand upon a few points you folks raised. In terms of the film's political ideology, I think we have an interesting mixed bag here. On the one hand, there is definitely a Marxist-leftist critique. Believe me, speaking as Marxist as a Marxist history professor, I can spot these things easily. <laughs> um, and always a, Mar- a Marxist-leftist critique of both Fordism and fascism. The Atwill character is pretty clear about a desire to create a new kind of man, the worker of the future, or the boss's wet dream of the worker <laughs> of the future. That would be mm-hmm. a pure automaton, a man machine. Insert Kraftwerk reference here. (laughs) Devoid of interests, pain, love, and essentially humanity, he is also doing the whole eugenics, racially gardening things that we we always associate with the Third Reich. However, he is not doing this redemptive biology to create a pure master race. No, he is literally trying to create a slave race that would be completely subservient to their racial social betters. Exactly what the Nazis had in store for Ukrainians, Belarusians, Russians, Poles, and the other Eastern European peoples in the occupied territories. Considering the cultural, historical zeitgeist that the film was made, the presence of these left-wing critiques are not that surprising. The New Deal, the Popular Front, and the experience of the Spanish Civil War from 36 to 39 created a situation where radically progressive leftist, anti-fascist ideas became generally mainstream in interwar America. Those were the days, huh? (laughs) Even if the creators of the film did not explicitly set out to engage in ideology, methinks it nevertheless seeped into the plot. And I think he's right. Yeah, yeah, that just goes back to, yeah, because we were kind of picking up on some of these potential, uh, you know, a film that could be read in a couple of different ways, some of the ideas there, is what was it really trying to to say? And, and, And being that it was... Coming from Hollywood writers and creators at that time, you know, it's, it's, it, it does, you would tend to lean towards that there would be leftist ideologies that would mm-hmm. be finding their way into the, the film. And it would be, it would be more, na- uh, more of a question in 1941 of whether or not these things were seeping into it or mm-hmm. being placed in it, because this is definitely, you know, this is before the, the United States entered World right. War II. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So this is definitely not so, some mm-hmm. part of the uh, the official propaganda mm-hmm. uh, stuff that was produced during the 40s. Although, then again, I have to admit that I'm not as well versed in when um, when the government might have started asking Hollywood, Hollywood producers mm-hmm. to start injecting propagandistic types of things into mm. storylines where mm. appropriate. So mm. this, maybe yeah. 1941 isn't too early for that kind of thing. Mm. I'm not sure. This might have been the point when they still had to be careful because there was a still, there. you know, because we hadn't actually officially entered into war, there was a lot of support, if not necessarily for Hitler. I mean, in some ways there were. I mean, he was not totally yeah, exposed well, yeah. as the villain he was to. I mean, there was a lot of powerful people in this country. Well, even, there even, was a lot of anti-Semitism and a lot of powerful right. people in this country who were kind of you know, thought Hitler was was really something. You know, something interesting. You know, something that uh, you know might be. Even after he, I mean, in 1940 when he invaded France, there were still yeah. a lot of Americans who were going, "Well, you know, I mean, yeah. this is mm-hmm. this is something that we shouldn't be involved." Yeah, it's in. their thing, right? And just the whole non-involvement factor. So yeah. you know, but it's but I do know that long before 
you know, the America officially entered the war. I mean, I, I, the government was then kind of starting to try and do whatever they could to help the British and help, you know, without making it overtly, you know, yeah, obvious. Yeah. The, the, the special relationship was never mm. never yeah. more necessary or more special yeah. than that period of time. Mm. Uh, but I'm sorry, back to Matthew's email. He says, Rod, you brought up the book-burning finale of the film. That messed, up, that messed my ass up, too. Being a degenerate bibliophile <laughs> and knowing the obvious historical context, that was somewhat uncomfortable. However, I think I have figured this one out. Much like Mary Shelley's novel, this film contains a strange, uneasy mix of progressive and, con- and conservative elements. Shelley's original Frankenstein contains some really progressive critiques of both the early Industrial Revolution and the patriarchy. However, well, how could it not with, yeah. with Mary Shelley's mother being who she was? Right. Um, so, uh, however, the moral of the story is ultimately absurdly conservative. This is true. Uh, in fact, the mad scientist genre at its core is essentially reactionary, right? At the end of the day, Frankenstein's basic message is, don't fuck with God. <laughs> Forget about the French Revolution. Go back to a pre-industrial mythic past. Technology is bad. Social engineering is bad. <laughs> I think this tension between very progressive and at the same time really conservative ideas can also be found in Man-Made Monster. This strange internal ideological contradiction that seems to run through nearly every mad scientist story. Mm-hmm. And it yeah. is that contradiction yeah. Yeah. that that makes mad scientist stories so inherently interesting to oh, me. Yeah. Uh-huh. Because there is this, there is this wonderful contradiction in even the motivations mm-hmm. of a mad scientist character who is attempting to do whatever he's attempting to do. Because mm-hmm. the mad scientist is, of course, trying to work his will upon the world. Yeah, <laughs> mad scientist as fascist, I guess, would be mm-hmm. almost the upshot mm-hmm. of most mad scientist stories in mm-hmm. a large way. And the fun thing about Atwell in that film is that you know what we we got a kick out of is that he really you know. Pretty much admitted he was mad, you know. Oh, yeah, <laughs> he yeah. didn't. He, he didn't play around with the, you know. He saw. He saw it. He saw it as an uh, yeah. as something that wasn't even to be concerned yeah. about. Yeah. Like, yeah. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Well, his yeah. thing was like it's the mad people who will bring the human race forward, and uh-huh. you know, and, and and save the human race through our through our you know quote unquote madness that everybody thinks of. <laughs> you know. Yep. <laughs> He says, anyway, apologies for my ramblings. Uh, by the way, Matthew, no, don't, don't no, apologize. Good stuff. Very good, good stuff. stuff. Yeah. Uh, in addition to my thoughts on Man Made Monster, I wanted to spread the good word that there might be some upcoming Spanish horror film screenings in the, screenings in the greater Philadelphia area. Uh, oh, I think this may be too late to talk to people about. I have heard on good authority that International House over at UPenn's campus, uh, these are the folks that rolled the 3D print of Nashi's The Mark of the Wolfman mm, and a yeah. cleaned up copy of Blue Eyes of a Broken Doll last year, appear set to show another round of Spanish genre favorites sometime this spring. I do not know any titles or dates as of this, but once I do, I will let you guys know. Any and all genre fans in the south, southeastern Pennsylvania, southern New Jersey area should try to check these screenings out. IH, oh, IH is a great place to see a film. Plus, do your part. Support your local Euro horror scene, man. <laughs> and he says, finally, as it is become as it's becoming a tradition at this point, we should talk about beer. <laughs> you guys in the Middle Tennessee area are lucky. Your craft brew scene is really doing some great stuff. Yeah. In particular, I would like to recommend the product from the good folk at Nashville Brewing Company. As far as I'm aware, they are the only they only brew traditional German styles, and they brew them well. Very true to type. Their product is now available in bottle form in my area, and I can only say good things. My thoughts. The the uh, the Hells, it's a light lager. Very good. Not not Munich good, but a really solid one. Pilsner, see above. Uh-huh. Bach. I have I have had better American knockoffs of this style, but certainly true to type. 
uh, Schwarzbieter. That's the black lager. Mm. This stuff is dope. <laughs> Easily the best American version of the traditional East German black beer. Anyway, hope all is good. Stay groovy, comrades. Das Vidanya, yours truly, Matthew. Uh, awesome. There and, you go. Yeah, National and, Brewing Company is doing some good stuff. And, and Matthew, we can tell you as long-time you know, Nashvilleians that uh, that is not, uh, is, hasn't always been the case with Nashville. Nashville no. has only come into being sort of a beer mecca, beer haven, and really uh, since, I, I guess, the 90s was when it kind of started to, because yeah, late if 90s. you recall, remember, remember how we used to have to go up to Kentucky oh, God, to get, yes. if you wanted any kind of import or any kind of cool or out of the way beer, there was this great place in Bowling Green, Kentucky that we would make road trips up to just to pilfer their, you know, their shelves and find, oh my yeah. God, what is this? What is this? And uh, so it was, it seems like it was maybe in the, the 90s that you started getting a couple of you know, places that were kind of, you know, advertising, you know, a hundred different beers and that sort yep. of thing. And didn't, and then we started getting the a couple of brew breweries and, um, now, now yeah, got, it's just, oh my God, they're all, oh, I know. Yeah. So. I absolutely, st- I absolutely love mantra brewing. Um, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a small brew pub and, 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 uh, brewing, brewing company, um, put together, um, uh, put together because a woman who runs, uh, uh Indian restaurants, Wanted beers that mm-hmm. complemented Indian food properly, mm-hmm. and so they they have like thirty different kinds of beer, and uh, some of the, some of them are a little uh, outre uh, outre and weird a <laughs> that way outre and weird a, uh, but there's a lot of really interesting stuff going on with mantra, uh, well worth your time, uh, and that's bottled, but I don't think you can get it in your area. Maybe Matthew, if you're really nice, I will. Buy some mantra here mm. and bring it up to you at say the Monster Bash. Mm. Mm. I can be a nice guy. <laughs> 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 but uh, thank you for the update. Yes, you're right, Nash- Nashville. Uh, we we do have a, a number of excellent uh, brew choices here in the uh, Middle Tennessee area. We're lucky. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So cool. um, thanks, Matthew. Thank you so much, man. Thanks for the insights into that uh, and into the man-made monster. And thanks for taking our just kind of uneducated vague speculations and putting some meat on that now that's good so, so. Uh, yeah anytime anytime you can uh, help mm. us to de-vagify our thought processes mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we will accept it trust me <laughs> to articulate the inar- inarticulable or whatever it is <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That, that made it sound worse. I did. It really Much did. Worse. Yeah, I did because I don't, you really, I'm not even sure I, that's a word. But I'm going yeah. to just say you fucked that one up. Yeah, I did. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. So, folks, remember, you can write to us at thebloodypit at gmail.com. We'll be glad to hear from you. Ah. Uh, Man, and not a, you don't have to comp, you don't have to mm. you know like rattle mm. off your 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 desires for speci- specific types of beers or even mm. you know tell mm. us what you think of specific beers. We can just talk movies. We don't care. Yeah, we'll right. talk about yeah. anything you want to talk mm. about. And we absolutely will. But I, I refer you to the pro uh, to our opening of this past news show. <laughs> <laughs> We're arguing about animated shows on on the Cartoon Network. So <laughs> that was an argument. No, no, no. It was. It was no. It was not. I guess it was. I wasn't. I wasn't paying for an argument. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you were. <laughs> <laughs> You're merely gainsaying. Every, okay, I'm sorry. I'm not yeah. going. I'm not going into that Python routine. So, mm-hmm. folks, we would just like to let you know what you can uh, expect to hear from us in the coming future. I'm interested um, in hearing this to myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. So, so what are the what are the things we're planning to do next? Uh, we don't have to give them any specific no, times, no. but uh, what what ne- the the oh well we should tell them well when we return to the nineteen forty 
yeah. universal horror routine. Uh, we're still in 1941, of course. Mm. This series hasn't uh, hasn't exited 1941, and we won't for a little while. Uh, but the next film we're covering is The Black Cat. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. not, but not, that not, that, not that one. <laughs> not the Edgar Ulmer film from mm-hmm. the 30s. Uh, yeah, that not one of my favorite films of all time, but another movie with that title. But but one of the films that the one you're talking about, that Edgar Omer, is probably a big way responsible for why the films in the '40s are the way that they are. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like we got to yeah. rein these rein these crazies in here. You can't have Bela Lugosi strap Boris Karloff to, yeah. to to a chunk of wood <laughs> and start flaying him alive and expect that people are not going to say something. Yeah. So so yes, this is a later Black Cat, uh, which I believe I have seen, but it's been a long time. I'm pretty sure I have, but it's I don't recall it too well. So. It's it's a bit of a uh, isolated house in a rainstorm murder mm-hmm. mystery thri- murder mystery thriller mm-hmm. much more than a you know black mass yeah. uh, <laughs> necrophilia uh, built build, build your, yeah, yeah incestuous build your palace mm-hmm. on yeah. the the field of corpses kind <laughs> yeah. of film it's a different kind of thing yeah. with the same title the black yeah. cat yeah. so <laughs> the black cat nineteen forty one mm-hmm. that's a it's it's that's the one we'll be covering the next time we get back to the nineteen forties things. Yes, indeed, do da. And we're still uh, going to be doing over on the Nashicast feed. We will still be doing uh, the saga of the Draculas or the Dracula saga, depending mm-hmm. on which title you want to go with. I, I like Dracula, the, the Dracula saga, yeah, yeah better as a, yeah. a, a an English language version of the title. Mm-hmm. That's the uh, Leon Klamowski uh, film from uh, darn mid mid seventies. Mm-hmm. I've, I've lost mm-hmm. I've lost the plot on when that film was produced. Uh, so those are the next two films Troy and I will be covering on the uh, the various podcast feeds here. Mm-hmm. To tie in with Adrian's uh, visit to Profundo Rosso, we're not exactly sure what we're going to do, but we're hoping to uh, uh, do something Argento-related over the course of the, the summer. Can't give away too many details right now because we don't really know them ourselves. But uh, <laughs> we're still, we are, yeah, but we're we still are, forming it up. We are planning on uh, doing something related to Dario Argento. I would just say that there have been some really interesting uh, Dario Argento releases absolutely. on Blu-ray yes, uh, in the past, uh, mm-hmm. let's say, six to seven months. Oh, so, yes. yeah. 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 so keep your eyes peeled, keep your ears unplugged, <laughs> and uh, we will see you as soon as we can. Yeah. Um, Thank you very much for listening to the show. Once again, remember, email address, thebloodypit at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. You can uh, drop us questions over on either the Cast or the Bloody Pit Facebook page. Yeah. We'll be glad to hear from you, and yeah. we, uh, we try to respond as quickly as possible. Thank you once again. My name is Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn. Bye now. <laughs>
I ever heard a single little civil word. 